This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. TGIF, thanks for tuning in, at least on the East Coast, it's Friday. For those of you listening in Nevada, it is still Thursday. And let me tell you, I have seen the future, and Friday is something, ladies and gentlemen. Well, whether it's Friday for you or whether it's Thursday for some, it is time for, or even if you're, it's Saturday for you because you're listening to this program on the podcast, it is time for one of our most popular hours. It is the time for you to ask questions about anything you like. It is time for The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. anything. That's right. If you have questions about film, television, books, business, radio, the business of radio, Radio. Cocktails, you need advice. If you have questions about my personal history, if you have questions about pro wrestling, gambling, Atlantic City, local politics, national politics, restaurants, New York, the criminal justice system, aliens, the mob, hypothetical questions, if you have questions about my personal preferences, relationships, baseball, the culture at large, religion, foreign policy, or anything else that I might possibly be able to answer. Now is the time. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. We have one open line. What we will do to sweeten the pot a little bit is whoever comes up with the most interesting question, with the most creative question, as determined by Matt Blaze, Alex Barnard, and Kenneth, we will give you a complimentary prize. Uh, Could be a cap, could be a shirt. I don't know what it will be, but it will be something. So whoever comes up with the most creative question this hour We'll give you something. 800-848-9222. So think out of the box. Think creative. Think what's going to make people think. Think what will spur innovation and conversation. Don't think of the same questions you hear on talk radio 20 20 hours of the day. Think of what is going to be different and interesting. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Peter in Queens. Hello, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi. Hi. Uh, my question is, uh, a couple of months ago, you had a woman on that was uh, uh, had a lot of trouble with guardianship for her mother. And I, I forgot her name, and I'm wondering if you could possibly remember the interview and her name and how to contact her. I, d- I don't. I'm sorry. Uh, if, you, uh, if you email, I, I feel like we've done that topic a bunch, and so it could have been any number of people. If you, uh, if you email me, I'll try and come up with, uh, I'll try and do a search and find out what her name was and what the specifics of her situation was. But no, I'm sorry, I don't remember her. Uh, I don't remember her name or the specifics of her situation. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. KC is in Connecticut. Hello, KC. Hey Frank, how you doing? Great. Hey, hey, here's a question for you. If you had a choice to have your son Carmine grow up, would he rather be a mob boss or an NFL lineman. Oh, uh, that's a good question. I, neither of those professions would be my first choice, 
But but I would not want to see my son become a criminal. So uh, I would probably pick NFL linemen. Okay. But that's still... That's still injury prone. Oh, I know. Believe me. Believe me. None of the, neither of those are uh, exactly uh, are exactly professions that have great long term prospects. So yeah, but uh, so either if he asked my advice, I wouldn't suggest either of those as a career to strive for. But if I had to pick, it would be NFL linemen. 800-848-9222. That's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Al is in Yonkers. Hello, Al. Yeah, hi, Frank. Last week you had an interesting conversation about the uh, Whitey Bulger, uh, how mm-hmm. he was right. transferred to Hazleton in West Virginia. And I thought it was a disgrace at the time that they would be able to send him to such a notorious prison. And uh, he had known enemies in that prison. I mean, it was a total outrage. And I believe, uh, like you, yourself, that the uh, Federal Bureau of Prisons had uh, contributed to his death. This should have never happened. And I wanted to ask you, uh, do you think it's a possibility that there was a plant in the Federal Bureau of Prisons? Because this, I mean, how could this have happened? Well, I mean, when you say a plant, what do you mean a plant? Like, I mean, how could somebody in a position of power, authority, send him from a, a, a federal prison that was protected in Florida to this prison in West Virginia well, where it was known that I, I he mean, had I, enemies. I, I think they wanted him killed. I, I think they wanted yeah. him killed. And, and thank you for the call, the call and the question, Al. I think the information that he had about the CIA and about the FBI and potentially about the Massachusetts state legislature and Massachusetts politics in general – was the kind of stuff they don't want out there. And I think they wanted him killed. A, a news story came out yesterday that said he died in six minutes, that it took them six minutes to murder him. I don't believe that. They cut out his tongue with a spoon. Now, I don't care how brutal you are. It takes more than six minutes to cut out someone's tongue with a spoon and murder them. Um, I don't want to get into this too much now because... This is actually the subject of the podcast that I just posted uh, yesterday with Michelle McPhee on the Racket Report. So if you're interested in the Whitey Bulger case, go to uh, com, go to podcasts and search for the Racket Report. Or you can just search the Racket Report on any podcast app, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, whatever the case may be. I know that uh, Joe Rogan was just uh, dethroned as the king of Spotify by Meghan Markle. Hopefully we can dethrone her with uh, being the person with the most uh, subscribers and the most downloads. All it takes is for you to search the Racket Report. And you'll hear our whole discussion, about 45 minutes, on Whitey Bulger. 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Neil is on Staten Island. Hello, Neil. Hey, Frank. Uh, Dan Goldman, uh, he ran for office. He spent $2 million of his own money. Yeah, I think it's a lot more than that, actually. Yeah, well, the $2 million is what, what the, the press said, one, at least one report that I heard. I'm, I'm wondering, Frank, I mean, whatever job he ran for, uh, couldn't pay that much money, Frank. Am, am I an imbecile thinking that uh, someone would spend $2 million for, for a job that doesn't pay that much? And, and, and to what end? I mean, if he wanted to work, he, he could work for charity or whatever and, and have the same uh, 
the same, you know, to, to occupy his time. Well, Neil, we've seen over the years a lot of people who have a great deal of money running for running for office. We saw this with Mike Bloomberg. We saw this with Donald Trump. We saw this with uh, Willard Mitt Romney. We saw this with uh, Elliot Spitzer. We see, saw this with John Corzine. And I think some people who have a lot of money, what are they going to do? You know, sit around and eat bonbons all day? I think some of them are genuinely interested in public service or what their perception of public service is. And others are interested in power. And others are bored. And maybe they don't want to live the life of leisure because they have uh, three, four hundred million dollars and they can just sit around doing whatever they want. They actually want to contribute something. And so uh, I think Dan Goldman probably fits into the same category as some of those other people. So I I don't think it's a new thing, you know, that uh, somebody that's wealthy would want to run for office. George Washington was one of the most wealthy people in the country at the time that he chose to run for office. Thomas Jefferson, same thing. Uh, We've seen a lot of wealthy people choose to go into public service, presumably because they believe in serving the public and giving a little something back. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Ellen is in New Jersey. Hello, Ellen. Hi, Frank. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Thank you for taking my call, Reverend Marano. Ah, yes, Ellen, you're welcome. (laughs) It's my pleasure. Um, You know, I have a dilemma, and... I was wondering who to ask, and I think you're the perfect person. I, I actually spoke to my my family about it, but now I want, want to get your take on it. So a number of years ago, I, I have some friends, and uh, the women used to go out for lunch, and now the couples go out, and we've been going out, well, not with the pandemic, but we used to go out for dinner. So a number of years ago, I got a private message from one of the men who I'm not Facebook friends with, and he said that he we had canceled um, one of our outings and he said oh i was looking forward to seeing everyone and then he puts in parentheses you in particular and then another one he writes at times listen to this at times things are not what they seem and don't be me i go oh you're right but i don't know specifically what you're referring to here and then he writes i'm the only one who can access and look at my stuff from my end how about you still don't be me i wrote yes messages are private and wall postings are not and then finally it dawned on me he wrote so and so his wife does not know of the stuff I put on here. My private world, I guess. Stay in touch. I didn't answer him. He wrote the silence, silence is deafening. And that was it. And by the way, when we would go out for dinner, you know, he kissed couples goodbye. He started to kiss me on my lips. Oh. And then I said, oh, my gosh, I don't want this. So the last time we went out to eat, I said, oh, I have a cold. Anyway, we haven't gone out for a while. We're due to go out um, in September. And all of a sudden, he started private messaging me again and he wrote been a while i didn't answer him and then he wrote the silence is deafening so my question to you is as a reverend and a person with uh high morals and knowledge where do i go from here um on the uh private messaging and when I see them in person. Well, first of all, my morals are not that high. (laughs) Uh, Number two, uh, so uh, I assume you're not interested in a romantic relationship. No, no. Right, so uh, you're you're married? Yeah, this is Ellen from East Brunswick, Frank. Right, okay, so I I would just say, um, you know, just so you're aware, uh, you know, I'm in a committed relationship and an open relationship with, uh, not an open relationship, but in a relationship where my communications 
are open with my husband, and uh, I'm just going to include him in uh, any of our oh, further good. communications, just so oh, he's good. just so he's aware of uh, any future plans that we might make. Uh, I'll certainly look forward to uh, running into you in, in the in the future, but uh, I, I want to make sure that uh, my husband is. Uh, in the loop on any further further communications that we can. Because I like that. this way, I like that. if he's not up to something, which obviously it sounds like he is, if he's not up to something, then he wouldn't care if your husband right. is involved in any communications. But if he is up to right. something, that'll send him, that, that'll chill him down pretty quickly. Well, that's perfect. That's perfect. Better than ignoring him. Okay. Thank, yeah, no, no, no. I, right. I'm not into ignoring. Thank you, Ellen. 800 848 9222. That's 1 uh, two questions, uh, two lines open if you have a question, 800-848-9222. We will give a prize to whomever comes up with the most creative, most interesting, different question. So if you can come up with a question beyond the 20 hours of politics a day that we hear on the radio, that's what we want to encourage. Les is in Ohio. Hello, Les. Hello there, uh Sorry if I'm getting off topic here because it is kind of a little bit political. Sure. What's your question, Les? Go go ahead. All right. uh, It's about Nostradamus. And I saw a thing where, you know, where he did his quad train a long time ago, you know, and how he had uh, predicted the future, seeing silver birds in the sky. And then it turned out to be airplanes. And he predicted Hitler and he called it Hister. And he also predicted that someday there would be a false peace that came among us by a man that wore a purple turban. And I remember the first time that President Obama came on and addressed the nation, he was wearing a purple tie. And I wonder if anybody else noticed that. Well, I certainly didn't. Uh, Thanks, Les. You know, I think Nostradamus has made a lot of interesting predictions. We've done segments on Nostradamus, but, um, you know, you hear the Nostradamus critics and they will end up saying that uh, a lot of his predictions weren't as fantastic as as his proponents make it out to be. I don't know. I'm not up on the purple tie thing. So um, I'm happy to look into that further. I'm happy to do an additional segment on Nostradamus. But um, I never, I never caught that the the purple tie. But it just could be because I haven't noticed it. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Alyssa is in Los Angeles. Hello, Alyssa. Yes. Hello. Hello. I've got a really good one for you. I'm ready. Okay. Why did I receive this weird hat in the mail and not the prize money I won last week? Well, oh, so you played the thousand dollar minute, and I remember you. You won a hundred dollars. Of course, right? you remember me. Yeah, <laughs> of course I do. Of course I do. Um, so I, uh, you didn't get money. I sure didn't. No, well, so I got a uh, really weird hat in the mail. It's really weird. Hey, <laughs> hey, uh, Kenneth, did you tell Jake, the um, our director of promotions, that Alyssa was entitled to money? What, I'm sorry. What did you say there, Kenneth? What did you say? I can Kenneth? check on that, but I believe so, Frank. All right. Well, so let's let's send a reminder that uh, that Alyssa is entitled to money, and uh, Alyssa, we're going to get you that hundred dollars. If you don't get it by uh, this time next week, I I will You're be happy. It. Well, no, we're not going to double it. I will be happy to give you the hundred dollars myself via Venmo. Really, you're gonna you're gonna oh Venmo. <laughs> 
feeling that. I thought you would fly to L.A. and give it to me. No, no, no. I, I'm not in a position. I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm so arrogant. I'm no, I'm not flying to L.A. right now. But if you want to fly to New York, I'll, I'll be happy to give you a $100 bill, Alyssa. No, let's do Venmo. Demo. Okay. All right. Well, listen, well hopefully, hopefully the station will will handle this for me. But I uh, I appreciate the call, the question, and the reminder, and uh, I appreciate the uh, the trivia aptitude that you showed last week. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Dina is in Westchester. Hello, Dina. Hi, Frank. I have a I have a very important secret about Donald Trump. All right. And what's your question? I can't say it. I can't say it on the air. Okay. What's but, your question? Uh, my question is: If something televised, is it possible to to like wipe it off or no? If something, I, mean, I have an accent. I know. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm not sure I understand the question. If something's televised, is right. it is it possible right. to wipe it off? To censor it, sort of. Is if, it possible to get rid of it, like? What, or it'll be there forever. If it's already aired, you mean? Yes. Well, I, I guess aired. it depends, right? I guess it depends if it's network TV or cable. One yeah. of the um, one of the more interesting conversations that uh, that we had ever had was with the uh, former producer of uh, Jesse Ventura's conspiracy show, and what he said, and I, this was wild. What he said was they did a segment which Congress didn't like. And they were able to delete that from everybody's DVRs in the whole country. Uh, so I don't know. Uh, the The short answer is I don't know if it's possible to wipe it out. I thought for sure you would know. It's about Donald Trump, you know. Maybe it would throw the whole case out. Uh, like I said, I have an accent, but the United States was made of people with the accent. I mean, I'm 78 years old. So, but so, uh, like, um, what do you, what, so what are you trying to do? Exactly? I don't. I don't even know how to get it to Donald Trump. This is this happened. So you want Donald it. Trump to have your information and then get everything that's been on television about it wiped out? No, 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 no. I my question was if it televised on on television. It was a. Uh, it was uh, from Channel Seven. If it televised on television, is it possible that they could get rid of it so nobody else would see it ever again? That's what I, I'm you know, I, I don't think so. I think it would depend on the circumstances. But again, when I interviewed Michael Braverman, he said they were able to go back, go out and, inter- and delete everybody's DVR on a certain segment. So I don't know, honestly. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your questions in a moment. 1-800-848-9222. Think out of the box. Think creatively, think interesting, something different, something new, and we'll give you a prize. If you can come up with whatever whatever the most interesting question is, this is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is Katie Perry. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing on the show, just join our Facebook group, uh, Murano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. So just search, search that on Facebook, and we will post all of the uh, bumper music that we play, whether it's selected by me or uh, Alex Barnard or... Uh, Matt Blaze, it's all, it all goes up there. 800-848-9222. We are in the midst of... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Whatever you have questions about that I can answer, I am happy to try. And uh, whoever comes up with the most creative question, with the most interesting question, will give you a uh, prize. At the end of the hour, as determined by Matt Blaze, Alex Barnard, and Kenneth. Uh, 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to, uh, let's see, Paul in Manhattan. Hello, Paul. Hi, Frank. Hi. I have a question, and if you don't want to answer it and take a pass, I'll fully understand. Sure. Um, I want to combine two of your favorite favorite subjects. Okay. John Katsimatidis and organized crime. Got it. In your private conversations with John Katzimatidis, have you ever had you know discussions about how organized crime may have affected his businesses and so forth? No, I, I never have. Honestly, no. Uh, the uh, that's the that's the God's honest truth. Honestly. Okay, if you say so. Yeah. No, I haven't. Um, I, I uh, no. I'm trying to think. Have I ever? Have we ever talked about organized? No, I don't think we have. No. Uh, that's the uh, that's the truth. John is in New Jersey. Hello, John. Hey, Frank. Hey. Thanks. Um, can I change up my question? They screamed me, but I thought of a more Yeah, whatever your one. question is, go ahead. All right. So in the New Jersey lottery, the pick six, there's only 13 million and something um, combinations of numbers that you can play. Can't uh, if 13 million people throw in a dollar... And everyone plays one um, of those combinations. Can you win the lottery every time? Um, you know, there are. You know, here's what happens, right? So this came up recently because the the prize in the um, I think it was the Mega Millions was so large. There are. Uh, that's one of the rare occasions, the recent prize, where you could buy every combination and then make your money back. The problem with what you're suggesting, yes, it would work, but there's no way to know if someone else has that combination of numbers. If someone else has that combination of numbers, then you have to end up sharing the money with them. But still, you're splitting like, uh, like let's say it was like over a few hundred million. Yeah. So, yeah, it works. Uh, It absolutely million. That's everyone's a million. Right. It, It absolutely works. But you have to look at the. Prize money versus the the amount of money that you need to buy the tickets. But, yeah, no, that would work. I want to make you get that going. I want to get rich. Hey, John, I'll throw in a dollar. Let me know. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 1-800-848-9222. Ross is in the Boogie Down Bronx. Hello, Ross. Good morning, Frank. All right, here's my question. On the 4 o'clock hour every day, you play um – the song by the Swan Silvertones. I'm not tired yet. Sure. Okay. So the lead vocalist in the Swan Silvertones was a man named Claude Jeter. I've been trying to find out if he's related to Derek Jeter. Oh, that's interesting. Um, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I, um, I've never... It's not I, that common of a name, you know. 
Yeah, that, you know that that's uh, that's true. I don't uh, I don't have any idea if that's uh, if that's accurate. I know um, he was from the South. I think he was from Alabama and West Virginia. Lord, yeah, yeah, Kentucky, and yeah. And I and I don't think that right. Um, Derek uh, Derek Jeter's family is Derek not from, from there. Jersey, right? right. So, but um, you know, Claude Jeter did die in the Bronx in 2009. Yes. So I don't know. Uh, I, it's a good question. I'll research that a bit. It's not something that I have ever given any thought to. So I will look into that. 800-848-9222. Diane is in Virginia. Hello, Diane. Yes. Hi. hi. Um, I was wondering uh, well, your opinion or what you, about Djokovic not being able to play in the Open, U.S. Open, and, um, and how awful it is. And then how crazy the crowds will be with Serena playing. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's crazy. I, th- I think it's absolutely insane. Uh, there's no reason he shouldn't have been able to play. I, I think whether we're excluding tennis players or athletes in any sport because of their vaccination status or because they happen to be Russian, it's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. I think if you're running an international sporting event or any sporting event where you want the best players, you should welcome everybody that wants to play that's qualified to play. It's crazy um, to exclude people based on vaccination status or uh, because they, um, you know, because they happen to be Russian. I think the only acceptable reason to exclude an athlete is if they are if if they're taking performance enhancing drugs, which is basically the equivalent of cheating. And that's not fair. That's not fair to have them uh, competing on a level playing field with what will would not be a level playing field. But it's, it's not fair to have a, an athlete that takes steroids, for instance, competing with an athlete that doesn't. That's not fair. I can understand exclusion on that basis. But an exclusion on vaccination status or because they happen to be Russian, it's ludicrous. Ludicrous, as far as I'm concerned. 800-848-9222. Chris is in the Granite State of New Hampshire. Hello, Chris. Hey, how you doing? Great. Thank you. So just a quick question, right? Because I did the math, uh, and after punching all the numbers, I was thinking, uh, what kind of beneficial effects would getting rid of all the old people over the age of 65 out of this country would do? Because the housing market would be absolutely amazing. There'd be more jobs. I mean, what what do you think the effects of that would be? Well, I think, um, and I've seen similar academic uh, exercises on this before, and there was a whole episode of Boston Legal about this. I think it would be absurd, honestly. I don't know that I even need to say this. It would be ridiculous. The 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 older people in this country, especially people over the age of 65 who are relatively young, to be honest, people over the age of 65, they give this country so much of its gusto, so much of its intellect, so much of its energy. I think to have any discussion about um, doing, a, let's say, executing, the elderly, for economic reasons, it is absolutely absurd because you'd have to then take into account the effect, the incredible amount of productivity that those folks add to our economy and ingenuity and intellect. I mean, it's just it's a silly question, and I don't think it's worth entertaining even on an academic level. So I think it would be disastrous to do away with older folks. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. 
we have a first-timer. Tony is in Brooklyn. Hello, Tony. <laughs> Thank you very much for the introduction. Oh, God, I hope we, I hope that guy doesn't you know, get rid of the 65 and older. I'm, I'm doomed. Yeah, hey, what you better I, be careful, Tony. Do? Better be careful. One foot on the banana peel as it is. All uh, right, my, my, my question was, well, I had a couple of questions, but your, your call screener said pick the one that's most out of the box. But I'm going to give you a quick question. That's going to make you at least smile and then the real question. Okay, Ready? got it. All right. If I had a gizzard and you had a gizzard, what do we got? We have uh, a pair of gizzards. Well, only, only an American of Italian descent would know this answer. Gizzard each. <laughs> okay, that's funny. That's funny. Um, All right. The other one, the, other one the, the real question would be, I wasn't sure if I was going to go with a Cuba question or a political strategy question or a Social Security question, which I kind of need help in. So I guess I'm going to go with the Social Security question. And that is, what what would you advise for someone who thinks that their Social Security number has been compromised? Um, well, what evidence what do direction? What, what, what evidence? Direc- why do you think your Social Security number has been compromised? Because I think um, a utility company, which I thought I was dealing with, uh, turns out that 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 was not the case, and I I gave some information I shouldn't have. I would would call LifeLock or a similar service that protects your identity. I know – I did do that. Yeah, I did do that today. Yeah, that's what I would do. And I I, I think a lot of those companies have, have a pretty good record in terms of preventing identity theft. Do you know if the Social Security Administration has a freeze on numbers or anything that would protect someone? I I don't think so, but um, I would uh, I would also reach out to your your congressman. Who's your congressman? Uh, Blakeman. Blakeman. Although Blakeman doesn't represent Brooklyn, and he's not a congressman. Blakeman. Well, where I am, the address that I'm at is that's where he is. Right, but Blakeman's not a congressman. He's my local representative. Right, but so who's your congressman? Well, it depends on where I am, but... Well, where do you live? <laughs> I'm in Brooklyn, but Nassau County is where I am. Okay, so you live in Nassau County. Correct. And, and so you don't know who your congressman is? Well, I'm new there, so it's all... Okay, where in Nassau County do you live? In the five-town area. Okay, so you're probably either Kathleen Rice or Tom Swazi. I would uh, both of their offices are very good when it comes to constituent okay. services. I would reach out to whomever represents your area, and th- they should be able to help in terms of the governmental aspect of things. But in the meantime, I would make sure that I subscribe to LifeLock. 800-848-9222. Alyssa is in Manhattan. Hello, Alyssa. Good morning, Reverend Romano, and thank you for the privilege of allowing me oh, to ask you a question. my pleasure, Alyssa. Thank you. <laughs> um, actually, I was wondering before I asked my question, do you think I could tell, uh, it just popped into my head, um, what's a very quick but very bad joke from like about 40, 45 years ago, that Star Trek? I'm sorry, would you repeat that, Alyssa? Uh, Alex it's Barnard a, was a asking me a question. It's a Star Trek joke. It's a Star Trek joke from 
Um, like, and then I'll ask my question. Um, okay, the joke is, what do the crew of Star Trek and a proctologist have in common? I, I give up. They both circle Uranus looking for Klingons. <laughs> That's not bad. That's not bad. Actually, that was pretty popular like 40 or 45 years ago, but I, would, I thought maybe a new audience might find it humorous. And then again, maybe not. But anyway, my question is, being a radio talk show host yourself, did you ever have any interest in listening to any of the old-time radio shows? And if so, what were your favorites? Well, I still listen uh, to a lot of the old-time radio talk shows. I, I still uh, listen to uh, a lot of old Bob Grant shows. I still listen to uh, some old Barry Gray shows. I still listen to uh, Gene Shepard. I still listen to uh, some old Jay Diamond shows, although they're not that old. They're only about 30 years old. I uh, listened to an old interview that Cousin Brucey did on YouTube recently. Uh, I listened to old Alex Bennett interviews, uh, Long John Nebel. I listened to some of his stuff, uh, uh, Barry Gray, Barry Farber. So uh, I still listen to a lot of old uh, radio talk show hosts. So that's not something that has, uh, that has ended. I still uh, go forward with that. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to... Uh, Joe in New Jersey. Hello, Joe. Hey, Frank. Uh, regarding like supernatural, uh, I, I feel like you come from a, a place where you believe in at least you know various aspects. You know, with the UFOs and, and sure, it's interesting. To some degree, I believe there is something. There's something that's that's unex- inexplicable for someone who is a total disbeliever, which is a lot of my friends and family. How would you explain to them then? For, if they deny something like, you know, when you walk into a room and you're clear across the room and your back is turned and you feel someone staring at you, now, there's no contact, but there's there's a feeling. So it, it goes to show that there's there's something touching you inside, but there's no contact. Or if you're going in a, in a dangerous situation and your hair stands up, your your body just knows without, their, you know, it doesn't have to be like in a dark alley. It could be somewhere and you feel something's not right. How would you then propose to explain? explain that away to someone who denies that there's, you know, supernatural powers. You know, it's such a good question, Joe, and I I don't know that I have a good answer, but someone that makes the determination that they're not going to be a believer in the supernatural, sometimes these people almost cling to their skepticism as if it's a religion. And there's nothing that you can say to them that will that will convince them that, yes, this actually happened. I've seen this on the uh, the UFO front as well. But uh, I, I don't know. I, why are you so concerned with convincing someone else? Uh, maybe just to make me feel more, feel more comfortable, like there's um... – Strength and unity. Like I, I wish it was more just a, a belief thing, because otherwise we're just here for you know a short time. And if there if there really is nothing else, that's inexplicable. So, and if it's just like you're here and you're gone, then what's the point? So yeah. I'd, I'd like to think there is something extra. My view, Joe, is you should tell you should tell people that you uh, that you trust. Uh, you should tell loved ones what you experience, and if they don't believe you then that's on them. There's nothing else that you can do, and I don't think you should waste your time trying to convince them. I think you should tell them, and uh, if they don't believe you, then I I think that uh, that says a lot about how they view their credibility. So I would just tell them what you've experienced or in a hypothetical what the hypothetical person has experienced, and if they don't don't buy into it, then that's, that's on them. 
Diane is in Woodbury. Hello, Diane. Hi. Um, this has been on my mind a long time. In view of Jimmy Thomas's involvement with the election. And Jimmy who? Jimmy who? Ginny. Ginny Thomas, Clarence Thomas's wife. Oh, Ginny Thomas. Yes. Okay. I'm wondering your opinion on whether he should recuse himself from any cases about the election that come to the Supreme Court. I I think it depends on the case, right? And I I think it depends on the specifics of what's alleged in the case. But I think if if it's a case that uh, that has to do with overturning the results from the November 2020 election, he should certainly recuse himself. If you look at what... If you look at what Ginny Thomas has uh, said in these text messages that have come out, and I I don't approve of the fact that it's been leaked in the manner that it has, she talks about the fact that she's going to talk about this strategy or that strategy with her best friend. And everyone knows that's how she refers to Clarence Thomas. So there's no way that Clarence Thomas can, on the one hand, be talking to his wife privately about her plan to overturn the election and on the other hand, be objective when it comes to reviewing the facts of these cases. But uh, I think all those all those cases have sort of been, um, you know, fl- they've flown the coop, right? I mean, I don't know that there's any cases that pretend, that are uh, pending before the Supreme Court that have to do with anything like that at at this point. Anyway, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Dina is in Westchester. Hello, Dina. Hi, Frank. I got disconnected. I uh, I thought maybe it was the phone company. (laughs) Uh, How would somebody get in touch with Donald Trump? I I don't know. I don't know. If I could, he'd be on the show more regularly, Dina. I don't know. Bob is in Yonkers. Hello, Bob. Good morning, Frank. Frank, I got a question for you. Uh, In terms of national security, the China China government is trying to get to the moon before we do now, if they do, we're going to have a big problem because they're going to have missiles overlooking us from the moon, besides besides China. So in terms of national security, what should we do? What should we do in terms of, in terms of preventing China from going to the moon? Well, they, they claim if they get there first, it's going to be part of their empire. So what do we do? I don't know that we well, there's much we can do, right? I mean, I think um, the, I, I would pursue a dual approach of, on the one hand, going forward with American space exploration initiatives, including the Artemis Project, including going back to uh, the moon. And on the other hand, uh, moving forward with, uh, with diplomacy with China over l- future lunar colonies. I mean, if you look at the leverage that the United States has with China, it's substantial. We are the biggest consumer in the world of Chinese goods. So China is totally dependent on the United States and American consumers for the future of their economy. Additionally, China is our biggest lender in the world. So if we as a country were to decide to stop borrowing from China, that would be cataclysmic for their economy. So I think we need to have a discussion with China of merging the space travel aspect with the economic aspect. So um, and at the same time, keep pursuing the Artemis project. Eight hundred. 848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Joe is in Brooklyn. Hello, Joe. 
uh, Frank, I'd like you to uh, reveal to the audience, when you were a producer, I, I don't remember exactly whether it was Curtis or whoever, um, possibly Joe Piscopo or someone else, you were a producer, and you have advised their screener, I heard you in the background saying to the screener, don't allow Joe from Brooklyn on the air, he's a risky caller. Can you explain why you did that? Joe, the, the God's honest truth is, and I, I've heard you call this show and post in the Facebook group about this, the God's honest truth is I have never, ever told anybody not to take your call. And I've never not wanted to take your call myself. I know kind of where you're coming from. I know you're fired up about cigarettes. I know you have some controversial uh, views on gender and on race. If you look at the lunatics whose calls I do take on a regular basis, uh, many of them are much more crazy than you. I would have no problem taking your call, and I have never, ever in my career as a host or a producer ever told anyone not to take your call. For whatever reason, you came up with this scenario that I told folks that you're a risky caller. I've never said that. In fact, in our interactions, when I used to take your calls as a screener, I actually, even though some of your views were sort of unorthodox, I liked you. I I liked a lot of the things that you said. I liked a lot of the uh, memory that you had about talk radio. I like that you've been a long-time uh, listener to people like Bob Grant, and so uh, I've never told anybody that, honestly. Joe, yeah, I heard you. Yeah. Oh, and any. Uh, all right, there you go. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Chris writes, "Hey Frank, bourbon neat or rocks? Uh, excellent question. It is neat eighty percent of the time." The only exception is if it's um, really warm and I'm outside smoking a cigar, right? So if I go outside and I'll smoke a cigar then and it's really warm like it has been over the course of the summer, then I will go rocks. But usually it's neat. 80%, 90% of the time it's neat. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls straight ahead. Other side of midnight. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Find a wheel and it goes round, round, round as it skims along with the happy sound as it goes. Along the ground, ground, ground Till it leads you to the one you love Then your love will hold you round, round, round In your heart's a song With a brand new sound And your head goes spinning round, round, round Cause you found what you've been dreaming of In the night you see the oval moon Going round and round in two And the ball of sun in the day Makes a girl and boy want to say The great Perry Como. This is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. As we do each and every hour, 
Uh, each and every first hour of our last program of the week, we are doing... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. And whomever comes up with the best, the most creative questions will give you a prize of some sort. Three open lines, 800-848-9222. Let me try and get through a couple of email questions. Mike writes, thank you for taking my email, Reverend Frank. If you could transform into any movie star for one week, dead or alive, who would it be? Easiest question I've got maybe ever, William Shatner. William Shatner is the greatest human being that has probably ever lived uh, certainly the greatest Canadian human being that has ever lived. I would love to be William Shatner for a week. Then this person adds, uh, if you could portray a role in every, any movie, which character would you portray and why? I'm not clear um, if that means I get to change the character's actions or if I just get to act as that character. I don't really have much of a an interest in, um, you know, acting as a, a character in movies that I've already seen that I've already liked. If I get to change the character's actions, it would be Charles Foster Kane in the film Citizen Kane. I love Citizen Kane, and I, I love a lot of what Charlie Kane does in that picture. What kills me in that picture is that towards the end of the film, he was not nice to his second wife, Susan. And... Um, and I there's so many times when I see that film and I watch it over and over again pretty often. There's so many times when I see that film and I scream at the television because I don't know why he's treating her that way. And I wish that I could change his actions and be a little nicer to that woman who was, uh, I think, very, very nice. 800-848-9222. Greg writes, is it marinara sauce or Sunday gravy? Uh, Greg, that is a, a pretty easy question. From where I stand, it's sauce, unless it has meat in it. If it has sausage and meatballs in it, then it's gravy. Easiest question that there is. 800-848-9222. Uh, my friend Lauren, whose birthday party I will be talking about a little bit later, is uh, is on the line. Lauren is in Manhattan. Hello, Lauren. Hi. Well, first of all, Frank, um, I have a question. Okay. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm listening. Why didn't you say goodbye? Well, because... Why did you Irish exit... My birthday. Well, because I was looking around for you, I didn't see you, and I, I was already running a little late, and I was concerned that you would lure me into staying and making me get to the radio station a little later than I should. Oh, you're probably correct on that. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I had a lot of fun with you. I really missed you. I was a little pissed that you didn't say bye. I want to say that I've been on hold for nine minutes. And that is something that I don't think I've ever done before. I'm so impatient. And you have a really great call screener. He's very protective of you, whoever oh, that is. Well, that's very nice. So, and and uh, you will be happy to know, Lauren, that he's also yes. very handsome. He's in in negotiations with a modeling agency. He even got a haircut Go because the modeling agency made him get a haircut. And uh, I, 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 he is a nice guy. Uh, but uh, wait, I, wait. Go- Go on with his handsomeness. Now, I, I, I wasn't I, I'll be honest. I don't think he's that handsome. I think he's kind of an average-looking guy, but he disagrees. Well, can you compare him? Can you compare him to somebody I might know? I so think I he looks just like of... everybody else that I've seen. But you know, Matt Blaze, I have asked you to take a photograph of Kenneth 
We're, we're going to do that. Okay, when we you'll go you'll handle this so yes, Lauren can and see. Will, and I will post. Yeah, and make okay, it a flattering well, where photo. Where are you going to put it? Are you going to put it on the Instagram, on the Facebook? Where should I look for this I, photo of? I will message it to you privately, but for everybody else, we're going to post it in the Facebook group at uh, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. Happy birthday, Lauren. It was fun to see you, and uh, I'm going to be chatting about your birthday a little bit later. Okay, thank you. Have a good night. Thank you. Have a good weekend. 800-848-9222, the great Lauren Conlin, a wonderful, wonderful person. Uh, Rocco is in Selden. Hello, Rocco. Frank, I... uh... I have a personal dilemma oh, with boy. the uh, search. No, now searching for a political party. There, I'm a re- Republican, registered conservative. Uh, Trump policies, however, I can't help but to recognize women's rights and the abortion issue. So I'm actually hoping that uh, in the future there'll be a party where the abortion issue will be out of politics and let the women fight it out. You know, and and if you recognize the uh, past election, uh, some uh, uh, results resulted in the fact that women's rights issues are gaining momentum. And, you know, they actually ousted uh, President Trump for the suffragette white women in Congress. And from 1920, 2020, 100 years uh, what's your opinion on the women's rights and politics and political party? Well, I mean, uh, wh- what do you mean? What What is my opinion exactly? Well, uh, when remember you were looking for uh, the third party. What What was that? What was the abortion uh, issue on that? Me, I'm pro life when it comes to my family, but I try and stay out of telling women what to do. Uh, well, so. Yeah. yeah. R- Rocco, thank you. So I happen to be uh, pro-choice, but I think that Roe versus Wade was uh, wrongly decided. I think it was incredibly bad law, and they made up a right to privacy that does not exist in the Constitution. So I think the responsible thing to do is to leave this decision on um, whether or not, you know, the specific restrictions on abortion to the states. And let the elected representatives, the democratically elected representatives of the voters decide in state after state, I would vote for pro-choice people. And if there was a question, if there was referendums on the ballot or initiatives on the ballot, I would vote for abortion rights. Uh, I don't like abortion. I think it's horrible. But uh, I think if you make abortion illegal, it doesn't do anything to keep women from getting abortions. Unfortunately, I think it just makes abortion Um, You know, I I think it just makes it women go to back alleys and things of that nature. And uh, it's not something that. uh, But look, I uh, so I think that's where I come down on it, on it. 800-848-9222. Mark is in Garden City. Hello, Mark. How are you? Good. I wanted to to ask you uh, your opinion about congestion pricing. And um, if you know, um, uh, are they proposing that anybody who crosses uh, the um, uh, 59th Street Bridge, as crossing that bridge, you would be charged the congestion pricing, which is really a toll? Of course, they don't call it a toll. They call it pricing. But we all know what it is. What's your opinion on I, that? I'm, I'm going to talk about this a little more at 3 a.m. I, I am totally 3 a.m. Eastern. I am totally against the congestion pricing f- plans. It's going to do nothing to improve the environment. It is going to do nothing to reduce congestion. It's a boondoggle. 
Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. couple of quick notes here. One, uh, for those of you wondering how Kenneth is, um, Matt Blaze has just taken a photograph of, of Kenneth and posted it in our Facebook group. You could see it at Morano Radio Fans and Haters on Facebook. I have to say... You know, this young man maybe is more handsome than I gave him credit for. This is like a model pose. He does look like a model in this picture. I always thought he was kind of a normal-looking guy, and then I'm seeing this. Okay, he's actually more handsome than I realized. I could see why Sid Rosenberg got so upset about him being handsome. And as Sid reminded him, in 38 years, he will not be that handsome. So he's the joke, so annoyed. The joke is on him. Sid is so annoyed. Yeah, he's really Thank not you, happy. Frank. Thank now you. I can he, see he why. Is. I never I really noticed. I'm, I'm kind of, I guess, always busy when Kenneth's right. around. I never really took the time to look at him. Right. But he, the guy is actually pretty handsome. It's like the first thing Sid said when he saw him. Right. He's like, who's, he was, this, who's this handsome kid sitting here? Yeah, he was not happy. Yeah. He was not and, happy. Then, and then the second comment was, he won't look like that in 38 years. Right. No, he was not happy. He, he made play. By the way, uh, I will be with Sid uh, Saturday, tomorrow, in Brooklyn from uh, noon to one at Michael's of Brooklyn. I've gotten special dispensation from my wife to appear there. So uh, he's doing a book event. So maybe I'll see some of you there. That'll be fun. And uh, it's going to be fun. Now, I-, I was remiss in not getting to the selection of best question for the hour, as determined by Alex Barnard, uh, Matt Blaze, and the very handsome Kenneth. Uh, do you guys have a consensus as to who came up with the best question last hour? KC in Connecticut. What was the question again? Uh, would you rather Carmine be a mob boss ah, or yeah. an NFL that, that was a good question. And honestly, it, it is something that caused me to think a bit. But uh, ultimately, mob boss doesn't end well. You know, for anybody, you either end up with a prison sentence or I mean, you don't usually if you're the mob boss, you don't usually end up killed, though it does happen. As you ask Paul Castellano. But if you're a mob boss, you usually end up in prison. Sometimes if you're lucky, you'll end up a rat like Joe Messino. Neither of those is what I would want for my uh, for my son. Although I did do an interview yesterday on uh, a podcast that uh, that deals with mob issues. It's called A View from Mulberry Street. It's on the YouTube. I don't think it's posted yet, but. Um, it's a, it's a good podcast. I enjoy it. It's my buddy, Matthew Mary, who's been a guest on this show, who's a distinguished criminal defense attorney. He's been my guest on the racket report as well. And after we finished taping, Matty's such a gentleman, right? And, and it's funny, you wouldn't think of a mob lawyer as being the prototypical gentleman, but Matty is. He said to me, oh, I didn't want to say this on the air, but I was going to ask you, is your son named for Carmine Galanti or Carmine Persico? And uh, he didn't ask that because he knows my wife would go crazy. <laughs> she probably thinks Carmine Morano is already too ethnic of a name. And then all she needs to hear is people asking of which mob boss he's named for. Is it the Colombo family or the Bonanno crime family? She would have gone crazy. By the way, um, I do want to encourage you, if you're interested in the mob, to download the latest edition of the Racket Report. You can just search the Racket Report on uh, iTunes or any podcast platform. And uh, you can uh, listen to all the interesting things that we're doing there. Meantime, a couple of interesting stories that I want to bring to your attention. One, we spent a lot of time talking about Nichelle Nichols. 
Um, Nichelle Nichols was an actress that I really admired. She was a pioneer when it came to uh, race in this country. Uh, among the many things that she did which were significant, she played Uhura on Star Trek. She was my first crush as a four-year-old. I, I loved her, and I thought she was just uh, so sexy, but at the same time so elegant. I thought she was sexy before I even knew – I was four years old. I thought she was sexy before I even knew what being sexy was. I didn't even know what it was. I thought she was incredible. And I, she was really – as part of Gene Roddenberry's vision on Star Trek, very ahead of the curve on race relations. She and William Shatner, who played Captain Kirk on that series, shared television's first interracial kiss. I'm thinking of all the times on the Enterprise when I was scared to death. And I would see you so busy at your command. And I would hear your voice from all parts of the ship. And my fears would fade. So that is pretty hot, isn't it? I mean, really? For 1969? My goodness. So she is, she passed away last month at the age of 89 years old. But, um, what we're learning now, what was just reported yesterday, is Memorial Space Flight Company Celestis Inc., listen to this, is going to launch a portion of her cremated ashes and a sample of her DNA about 90 to 190 million miles into space on its very appropriately named Enterprise Flight. Uh, They announced this yesterday. The rocket is named Vulcan. It's currently scheduled to depart later this year from Cape Canaveral and leave the Earth-Moon system. According to a press release, Vulcan will set its perigene lunar lander on a trajectory for its rendezvous with the moon. And the Centaur upper stage will then continue into deep space, entering an orbit around the sun becoming humanity's furthermost reaching outpost, which will then be renamed the Enterprise Station. How cool is that? DNA from Nichols' adult son, Kyle Johnson, will make the trip too. In fact, more than 200 flight capsules with ashes, DNA, and messages from loved ones will be included on the flight, which will launch atop the United Launch Alliance's Vulcan. Others who worked with Nichelle Nichols on the sci-fi show Star Trek and have since died are also going to be part of the mission. Listen to this. Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry, who, by the way, we've talked to people like Dr. Michael Sala. We may have to get Dr. Michael Sala on this show next week now that we're nationally syndicated. Dr. Michael Sala made a very compelling case on this show that Star Trek was a true story, essentially. I'm I'm paraphrasing here. But he said that people within the government, namely Admiral Stevens, Admiral Stevens essentially leaked information directly or indirectly to Gene Roddenberry, who then used that information 
to base the show Star Trek on. But uh, that's a separate discussion. That was a very controversial subject that I brought up. And it was a very controversial subject when Michael Sala brought it up. But we're going to invite him on next week. We'll talk about that. But Gene Roddenberry and his actress wife, Majel Barrett Roddenberry, who was a great actress. Majel Barrett, she played in the original Star Trek pilot with Captain Pike. She played the first officer, number one. Then on the Star Trek series, she played Nurse Chapel. And then uh, on the Star Trek, the original series, she was the voice of the computer. On Star Trek The Next Generation, she played the, the uh, actress, she played the mother of Deanna Troy. She was Lawaxana La Troy. She also was the voice of the computer on Star Trek The Next Generation. I think, don't hold me to this, but I think she also played uh, in a one-time role, maybe a two-time role, a nurse on Star Trek The Next Generation, Nurse Temple. Get it? Nurse Chapel, Nurse Temple. So she was the voice on the of the computer on all the Star Trek series, at least until she died. And she was Lawaxana Troy in The Next Generation, where she was great. Very different type of character than Nurse Chapel or uh, Number One. But so the, you're going to see um, Gene Roddenberry, his wife, Majel Barrett, James Doohan, who played Scotty, and visual effects artist Douglas Trumbull, who was nominated for an Oscar for his work on uh, Star Trek The Motion Picture, their DNA is also going to be part of this mission. How cool is that? So ahead of the launch, a lot of uh, Nichelle Nichols fans, which I am one, can send uh, free tributes to her through the Celestis website. And a digitized version of them will be taken as cargo. I'm going to be submitting a message. And if you want to as well, I'm going to uh, link to the, the that website on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Fan. That's facebook.com slash Fan. I honestly can't think of a more fitting tribute to her than this. And I, I think it's wonderful. Uh, this is someone whose entire career as an entertainer, as an actress, inspired people to want to explore space. And now she's going to space posthumously. How cool is that? I think it's great. Um, all right. I want to bring this to your attention. Let me tell you what's coming up. Uh, coming up in a few minutes, Cara Castronova is going to be here. Uh, you know, I, I was just with Rudy Giuliani at a party. All Rudy Giuliani could talk about was Castro, Castro, uh, Castro, Castronova. Cara Castronova. Cara Castronova used to be a champion boxer, female boxer. Now she's a pundit on cable news. She's an investigative reporter for Gateway Pundit, and uh, she's a conservative activist. Very impressive woman, very bright woman. And Rudy Giuliani is totally taken with her, totally taken with her. He told me when I talked to him just now that the show that she's on Saturday nights on uh, Newsmax, Wise Guys, he said he thinks that's the best show on TV. So she's going to join us exclusively. She's... um, Done a lot of interesting work in terms of these January 6th prisoners. So we're going to get into that. Uh, I'm going to ask you some challenging questions. And we'll uh, we'll get a preview maybe of uh, some of the things that she's up to. But before we get to Kara, oh, oh, and movie reviews with Debbie Schlussel in the, uh, in the final hour of this program. Debbie Schlussel, also a conservative activist and an attorney. You know, I, I am serious. I brought this up a week ago. I am serious about bringing a legal case to allow me to run for civil court, even though I'm not an attorney. Why should I not be permitted to be a judge? 
even though I'm not an attorney. And I am trying to, what I'm doing now is I'm befriending every judge that I know, and I am going to try and get one of them to represent me for free in a 14th Amendment case challenging the constitutionality of this provision which mandates that I have to be an attorney to run for judge in New York City. I don't have to do it in other parts of New York State, just New York City. So uh, Debbie is an attorney. I'll see if she wants to represent me in that case. Now, Sylvester Stallone is getting divorced. This is very sad, actually. Um, Sylvester Stallone and his wife, Jennifer Flavin, after 25 years of marriage, are um, filing for a dissolution of marriage. Now, Usually in Hollywood, you think that uh, you split up after a year, two years, three years, five years, maybe 10 years. It's rare that you're together as a married couple for 25 years and then you decide to call it quits. Usually Hollywood relationships that last 25 years, usually that's a keeper. But um, there are reports. Can you believe this? There are reports that Sly Stallone, Rocky, Rambo guy who's phenomenal and whose brother Frank, I want to get on his show, this show. Frank's an interesting guy. Sylvester Stallone has struck down reports that he and his wife sought to end their relationship over a disagreement concerning, are you ready for this? Have you heard about this? His new dog. So after 25 years of marriage, they are calling it quits and Stallone is coming out against these reports that the split arrived after he purchased a new Rottweiler named Dwight and that a dispute over the dog provoked a series of other arguments that led to the divorce filing. So Stallone told uh, TMZ that while he and his wife were at odds over Dwight's care, especially since he often travels for work and their living arrangements are bi-coastal, It did not trigger the breakdown of their marriage. Now, I don't know about you, but the fact that Stallone is going out of his way to say that this dog was not responsible for the breakdown of their marriage, it tells me that there's a good chance that this dog was responsible for the breakdown of their marriage. Now, look, if you're married for 25 years, are you really going to allow a dog to break up your marriage? My answer is is yes. I, I think you are. I think if you're married for 25 years, uh, sometimes it may not take much to break up your marriage. You bought what? A dog? Get that thing out of here. <laughs> hey, you still got those turtles from Rocky. Those two turtles. I don't think that's true. He does. Um, Cuff and Link. Is that true? Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, here's a quote from Sylvester Stallone. We did not end the relationship on such a trivial argument. We just went in different directions. I have the highest respect for Jennifer. I will always love her. She's an amazing woman. She's the nicest human being I've ever met. See, that's nice. That's nice. How often do you hear that about someone that's about to get divorced from someone else? She's the nicest human being I've ever met. Not she's a great person. But she's the nicest human being I've ever met. That's something. Now, I mean, that begs the question, if she's the nicest human being you've ever met, why are you divorcing her? I think Dwight the Rottweiler may have an answer there. Even Neil from Staten Island 
you don't hear him saying that thing that about his wife, his ex-wife, and he loves her, right? And his ex-wife, who's called into this show before, she seems quite fun of it. Cara Castronova, boxer turned pundit, joins me straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. I just got an email here from a, a gentleman named Mr. Gurkha, who's, who writes the following. Frank, we would appreciate, if you want to email me, just uh, frank.morano at uh, wabcradio.com. Uh, he writes, Frank, we would appreciate it if you answer more emails, especially question time on Friday mornings, because some listeners don't want to disturb other family members who might be sleeping nearby and therefore must write to you instead of speaking with you, sir. That's legitimate. That's legitimate. But that's why we go through the mail on Tuesdays. And I will go through your emails on Tuesday morning. If you have uh, an interesting question or an interesting uh, an interesting comment. So uh, that is, uh, that's what, Wake up! that's why we do that, to be honest, right? All right, 800-848-9222. We're going to talk with uh, Cara Castronova in just a minute. She is a uh, retired champion boxer. She was also one of the big people on The uh, Biggest Loser. And uh, these days she's a political pundit. She's an investigative uh, investigative journalist. I think she actually may even be running for office this year. And uh, who knows? In a, in a year where a lot of people are expecting Republicans to do well... Um, she could really surprise some people. All right. Uh, if you want to comment, uh, you can do so, 800-848-9222, or you can find me on Twitter, at Frank Morano. Hey, this was one story that I wanted to comment on before we got to Kara. Uh, uh, I am a dog lover. I um, don't currently have a dog, but my mom has a dog named Watson, who I really consider like my brother. You know, he's really just a wonderful dog. And he's getting on in years, and he's just he's just great. I miss him, and uh, I haven't been over there in a while. And, and now that I, I think about how long it's been since I've seen Watson, it's making me miss him even more. And maybe I'll try and get over there tomorrow or, or Sunday. So there's this article in the New York Times headline, Will Your Dog Get Dementia? 
a large new study offers clues. The risk of canine cognitive dysfunction, a.k.a. doggy dementia, is far greater in dogs who don't get enough exercise, according to researchers. Their risk factors echo some in humans whose homes they share. And this article, and I may want to interview the reporter on this story, Jan Hoffman, but this article chronicles a dog named Dante. And around the time Dante turned eight, he started to seem a little off. The 70-year-old, excuse me, the 70-pound Bernese Mountain Dog. Bernese Mountain Dogs are wonderful dogs. They don't live a long time. But Joe Piscopo, who you can hear every Sunday evening on uh, WABC in New York, Joe Piscopo had a Bernese Mountain Dog named Otis. This was the nicest dog in the world. This was one of the nicest dogs. I, I, I talked about him when he passed away. This was one of the nicest dogs I've ever met. But anyway, the Bernese Mountain Dogs are great dogs. So Dante would pace his family's home in Interlaken, New York, like a caged bear. Then he might stand stock still, staring, trance-like, at the pedals of the family's organ or at a corner of a room. In the middle of the night, he'd wake up and begin barking incessantly for no obvious reason. Then the indoor incontinence began. And a brain scan confirmed that Dante had canine cognitive dysfunction, doggy dementia. It's often described as the dog's analog to Alzheimer's disease. Some studies have have found that it can occur in at least 14 to 35 percent of older dogs. Think about that. 14 to 35 percent. But because the symptoms resemble those in other diseases... Its true prevalence is difficult to confirm. A large new study of 15,019 dogs enrolled in the dog aging uh, project, an ongoing investigation into canine illness and aging, published uh, just yesterday in the journal Scientific Reports, identifies the top factors associated with the dog's risk of getting the disease. Key finding is this. Listen to this. Exercise. Exercise. Exercise may play a significant preventative role. The odds of a cognitive dysfunction diagnosis were 6.47 times higher in dogs reported as not active compared with those reported to be very active. This is according to researchers at the University of Washington. But they also found that the disease itself could lead to a lack of exercise, emphasizing that the study results, which are based on observations by owners, suggest correlation, not causation. Odds of getting the disease also appear to increase in dogs that have neurological disorders or impaired hearing or sight. Annette Fitzpatrick, co-author of the study and a University of Washington research professor with expertise in dementia in people as well as dogs, said this. When you don't get stimulation from the outside world, it seems to increase the risk of our not even being able to use our brains as well. According to the study, the study shows that there may be other things we can be aware of 
to try to reduce the onset of cognitive dysfunction. And obviously age matters. Bottom line is, get your dog some exercise. If you don't want your dog to suffer from doggy dementia, get your dog some exercise. I'm going to try and get to my mom's maybe maybe Sunday. I don't think we have plans Sunday. Take Watson for a, a leisurely stroll. Maybe with Carmine, right? We'll take Carmine in a stroller, Watson on his leash. We'll have a good time. And it's good, good exa- advice for humans as well. Hey, somebody that certainly knows a lot about physical fitness as well as the uh, news of the day is Cara Castronova. She is a former champion boxer. She is a Newsmax contributor. She is a conservative activist and an investigative journalist who has written for a number of publications, including Gateway Pundit. Uh, and believe it or not, she was actually on the Rudy Giuliani show today. And Rudy Giuliani said the same thing or yesterday, technically. He said the same thing on the radio that he said to me privately, this was uh, Mayor Rudy Giuliani, America's mayor, talking about Cara Castronova. Thank you for your courage. I mean, you've got you really belong in in politics nowadays because we need people with courage. And uh, gosh, uh, people should know you're also a boxer, right? Yes, former oh, boxing champion, two-time <laughs> world champion. Yes. Yeah, you're quite something. They can see you tell. They can see you on Newsmax, right? At Wise Guys, 10 p.m. every Saturday night. Man, it's Wise a great Guys show. I've been on it twice, and it's a great show. Yes. Please enjoy it. And thank you, and thank you for the work you're doing for our country. I, I, I admire you very much. Mayor Giuliani does not impress easily, but he was certainly impressed by um, two-time Golden Gloves champion Cara Castronova, someone who was once ranked number two nationally by USA Boxing, and uh, somebody that was one of the head celebrity trainers on season 11 of The Biggest Loser. And uh, we're thrilled that she's agreed to uh, stay up late with us this evening or this morning. Cara, it's great to see you. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm wonderful. So explain to me, Kara, you're very active in politics now. You're running for office now. You're a political commentator. You're a journalist. You're an activist. How do you make that transition from being a boxer and a physical fitness expert to the world of uh, politics? It's uh, That's a good question. Um, So uh, it is late. But, yes, I'm going to try to explain that. It started with the lockdown, actually. So I was really involved in fitness, and I was a boxer, and I was – like you said, a trainer on The Biggest Loser, and I was working in Hollywood as a celebrity fitness trainer, training celebrities. And, um, you know, I was really involved in that world. And then when the lockdowns happened in New York, you know, all the gyms closed, um, all the parks closed. I remember going to the park and all the, there was a padlock on the park, and I was just like, there's something really wrong with this. So that kind of changed my life a couple of years ago, and it just completely detoured me. So I never worked in a gym again since then. Um, I started really getting out there, being activist. I was one of the first people to do a rally. Uh, actually, I think I might have even been the first to go up to Albany and bring a couple people with me. We were standing outside Governor Cuomo's mansion, screaming in megaphones, reopen the state. This is unconstitutional. There, there's no pandemic clause in the Constitution. And, you know, the, the movement grew. And it was sort of like, you know, I, I found this whole new side of myself that I didn't even know existed, to be honest. And a lot of it just came from the anger and the fury that I felt like not being able. Literally, it all go, go comes back to a day I, when I went to go for a jog locally at my at a park that I've been going to my entire life. And there was like a padlock on the park and people were walking around with masks on their face. So for me, I just was like, wow. And it just it just blew my mind. So it started me kind of getting involved in politics and um 
it's just grown since then. I started really getting involved in the anti-mandate um, movement when it came to New York State, which is, you know, as you know, was, was very special, I guess, in the country. A lot of people don't really know what happened in New York, but there was a lot of mandates, um, you know, for the past, I'd say, year and a half, two years. And um, then, you know, just I got involved with writing for Gateway Pundit. Um, I figured I'd become part of the news because I had a real big problem with the news. And um, I was noticing that there was not really much coverage of stuff that I thought was really important, like like these rallies I was going to. There was a lot of people there and, you know, reputable news establishments were reporting there's 10 or 20 people at these rallies when in reality there were hundreds. So I'm like, you know, somebody needs to be reporting on this stuff. So that's when I really started approaching Gateway Pundit. And, you know, I got on the Newsmax show just to be able to sort of almost it's like an activist turned journalist. I felt like at first I was infiltrating the media um, as an activist. And then I just started really um, just loving working, trying to as hard as I can to tell the truth and, and to cover what I think is important. That doesn't get enough coverage. So it mostly it, this your activism was all born out of covid and the lockdowns. Yes, 100 uh, percent. I mean, I, I honestly I, I I used to I mean, I was a registered Democrat for some time, uh, switched to an independent. And then when Trump ran for office, I, I kind of really was won over by him in 2016. So that's when I really started paying attention to politics. And a lot of my like, I guess, inner, you know, everybody has, you know, their inner I don't, I don't want to say inner anger, but I had a lot of anger towards the media, I'd say, and like establishment Hollywood, just because from the time I spent there. And um, when he started calling out, to me, that's what drew me to Trump. Everybody has a different reason. But me, when he was calling out the media and he was calling out the establishment and he was really like, I'm like, wow, this guy could say whatever he wants. Like when I was in Hollywood, I was basically like a, a controlled person. You know, I was on a reality show. I was like, you know, I was, to be quite honest, told what to say and what to do and how to act and how to wear my hair and what to dress like. So it was like really liberating to see this person like just literally say whatever they want and no, and there was no repercussions. I'm like, wow, he could say whatever. It was so liberating that that's why I really fell in love with them. And just from there started like, and then now I know who, and a lot of other people, I think, understood who, who the Speaker of the House is, who the Senators are, how the Congress works, things that we never really understood before. I could honestly say like, whether you liked him or not, Trump kind of, I think, made everybody sort of understand sure. the way politics works. No, no, no. Uh, so, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, there's a reason 2022 had such uh, such high voter turnout on all sides. Uh, love him or hate right. him, he certainly drove people to uh, to an interest in politics and in, in the electoral pol- uh, in electoral policies, that's for sure. Talking with uh, Cara Castronova, uh, she actually is a, a candidate for uh, state assembly out in uh, Long Island. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Cara, just to, to go back to your physical fitness background, a lot of people might have had a rough summer uh, in terms of uh, trying to keep the weight off. They're constantly being invited to barbecues. Now that people are able to open up again and have barbecues again, they're uh, drinking too much. They're going out to eat too much. They're, uh, they, they've put on a few extra pounds over the summer. What is like a pro tip that you can give people, that not somebody that's going to be a professional boxer or uh, be a, an, an all-star athlete, but somebody that wants to take off that extra 10 or 15 pounds that they put, all, uh, put on over the summer? What advice can you give somebody? I, I would say, like, for me, um, I don't work out as much as I was now that I'm running for office, but the way I keep weight off is, like, I there's certain things you should cut out of your diet and um, not eat. And I really do believe that gluten, like gluten, and whether you are you have celiac disease or you're gluten intolerant, I do think that it really affects your, your gut and it affects your metabolism. So I'd say cut out bread and pasta, but eat as much potatoes and rice as you want. 
um, you know, just really don't eat sugar and uh, and cut out as much alcohol as possible. And when I follow those simple rules um, mm. and eat as little red meat as possible, honestly, because that also affects, I think, your digestive tract. And I, that's what I do when I keep weight off. Um, but as soon as I start eating pasta, as soon as I start eating bread and a lot of other people that, that I've trained the same um it's weird. It's like if you eat um, rice and, and, and uh, potatoes, which don't have gluten in it, uh, you, you, you don't put on weight. It's, it's, mm. it's really, that really works for me. And a lot of people that have been asking me that recently, I like just don't eat pasta and bread, but like, you don't have to starve yourself. You can eat potatoes and, and uh, rice and that will fill that void. And it seems to keep the weight off. Well, uh, that's certainly good advice, and uh, sometimes it can go into the category of easier said than done. All right, let's talk about some of the issues that are happening in the country. Uh, we we covered this a bit yesterday, the announcement this week that uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci is going to be leaving at the end of this year, leaving a 40-year, basically almost 40-year career working for the uh, federal government. As far as you're concerned, What's your view of uh, Anthony Fauci's legacy? How do you think history is going to judge him in general? And how do you think history will judge his handling of the COVID pandemic specifically? I mean, if history is written the way it should be, it should be that he was he was a criminal and that he you know, this is just my opinion. I don't know. I don't think he will, he did a good job with COVID. Um, there was a lot of lies that were told. There was a lot of misinformation that he gave the country. There was a lot of arbitrary rules that he put out there that caused a lot of, it, for the most part, for me, the part that I have the most anger towards is it divided families. Um, I haven't spoken to family members in two years because of COVID, because of these very arbitrary, what I feel were arbitrary instructions given by Dr. Fauci and his team to the United States and to the people. Um, I have family members, I'm doing a fundraiser for my uh, campaign next week who I haven't seen in two years who aren't coming. Um, They don't want to be around quote unquote unvaccinated or unvaxxed people. And this is like now the CDC is saying that vaccinated should be treated the same as unvaxxed. So I'll never forgive Dr. Fauci or I don't even want to call him a doctor because I think he's an opportunistic businessman um, for breaking up my family. Like I said, I have 20 mm. relatives on my mother's side of my family that I, my mother passed away a long time ago. So that was really my only connection to her that I haven't seen because they are so terrified by what I believe was complete fear mongering on the part of him and um, anybody associated with him that completely tore families apart, um, t- took away the traditions of Christmas, birthdays and, and holidays that really you know, keeps the family unit, I think, in the United States. And I think that that will be his legacy, that he literally ripped families apart. And I don't think that could be repaired anytime soon. Mm. Um, it, it does appear that at least as of now, Philadelphia is going to be having their students wear masks for the first two weeks of schools. The parents in Philadelphia are up in arms. They're asking the school board there to make it optional. It looks like there's such an outcry that they may have to make it optional. What's your take on what a city like Philadelphia is doing in terms of mandating masks for public school students for the first two weeks of the school year? Um, you know, I'm I'm pretty pretty extreme on that. I think it's child abuse. Um, I don't believe in. I mean, it's the, the CDC has literally said and and Fauci that masks don't work, and then they said they worked, and then they didn't. But you could look on the box of the mask and see that it doesn't work. It's again, it's arbitrary. It's control. I don't understand why they keep making up these mask rules, but they they simply don't work. So um, I think it's political. I don't know why uh, they're they're still going on with these masks. Uh, it's just just for me. It's just a way to keep dividing and distracting and you know, distracting the people from the real issues that's going on in the country. So, I I mean, again, like if, if I was a parent in Philadelphia, I would not be happy with that.
Uh, and uh, we're talking with Cara Castronova. You can see her every Saturday night at 10 p.m. Eastern on the uh, Newsmax TV show Wise Guys with my friend John Tobacco. Rudy Giuliani says that's his favorite show, and uh, he says it's the most intelligent show on television. Certainly, I think, it, one of the most fun shows on uh, on television, no doubt about it. Hey, I, I know uh, you have written for Gateway Pundit about uh, a guest that we've had on this show, my friend Sal Greco, who I also ran into uh, last night. This is a police officer in New York City that's been fired in part because of his association with folks like Roger Stone and Kristen Davis. What has your research shown about the situation involving the firing of uh, police officer Sal Greco? Do you think he got a raw deal? He did get a raw deal. I was surprised. I really was. I thought they were going to suspend him or something like that, just considering the fact that, um, you know, it's not it's not equal because Mayor Adams actually, you know, what they got him for was that they said he was, quote, unquote, uh, associating with a felon, which is Roger Stone, who, by the way, was pardoned by Trump. So you have to consider that. But Mayor Adams was also, um, you know, in the entourage of Mike Tyson, who was also a convicted felon. So just considering that, I didn't think they would go so far as to fire him. You know, I was at his trial in New York City, his police trial, and uh, the evidence they were in my opinion, that they were showing really didn't show that he did much just besides hanging around uh, Roger and they were trying to really just throw him under the bus. Uh, So it's guilt by association. And I think it just comes back to demonizing anybody that was there on January 6th and and President Trump. And it's sad because the the pendulum swings politically. And, you know, the left is not going to like it if this is used against them one day and these same tactics are used against them. And I wouldn't want them to be because that's just not America. Mm. You know, anybody that's politically persecuted. I started an organization called Citizens Against Political Persecution. And if this was happening to someone on the left, I would be equally as outraged because I know just how fast that it could be used against me if I accept it being used against someone that I perceive to be my quote unquote enemy. Yeah, no, uh, that is uh, that's a Great point. Um, you've been very active in researching the uh, the January 6th situation and uh, some of the people that are still incarcerated for their role in um, in January 6th. Now, y- you've referred to some of the folks that are uh, still awaiting trial and awaiting sentencing, some of the people that might have already been to trial and uh, dealt with some pretty stiff sentences as political prisoners. Now, Mm -hmm. some people may look at these folks that were, you know, involved in storming the Capitol on January 6th and say, look, you know, these people were rioters or trespassers. They had no business being there. And even though I might agree with them politically and I I might agree with the candidate that they voted for, they shouldn't have been rioting. They shouldn't have been trespassing. Why shouldn't we deal with these people harshly to send a message Mm -hmm. to the next person that wants to participate in a riot or trespass on the Capitol? Right. Well, first of all, there was a lot of rioting and uh, and whatever um, stuff like that going on for years now. There's been political protests, everything with. And, and I'm, again, I'm not I'm not the type that points fingers like, oh, look what happened with George Floyd. I hate to do that, but sometimes it's necessary. It's not equal uh, justice under the law. And the fact of the matter is, like, yes, persecute people, uh, prosecute people when they commit crimes fairly. But when people are trespassing, don't put them in jail like the majority of these men. There's about 100 people in jail right now since January 6th, pre-trial, who a lot of them could possibly be found innocent or be found guilty of disorderly conduct, which doesn't even include jail time. So I know people in jail right now that have never um, even been tried yet, and their trials might not even come until 2023. 
So there, that's two and a half years of, of pretrial detainment, which is unconstitutional in this country um, for, for the charges like civ- uh, uh, obstruction of justice, which is a ridiculous charge for somebody that's at a protest and should, should raise a red flag for anybody. Because if you're at a protest, usually when people go to protest, they're protesting the government, they're protesting a government proceeding. A lot of the anti-vaccine rallies that I've been to will actually go to the legislative body that's, that's deciding on something having to do with the vaccine mandate and will go outside and will protest. That's what the nature of political protests are. You go to the building where the decision is being made. So the precedent that this is setting is that if you go to a governmental building and go to a protest, there's a chance that you could be charged with obstruction of justice, which, which is a 20-year penalty maximum. Um, and a lot of these guys are being thrown the book, which being charged with obstruction of justice. Some of them never haven't even been inside the Capitol, never went in the Capitol. Well, yeah, no, it's uh, certainly uh, I know something you've been working towards and very passionate about. Now, Wednesday, you've got this big event in uh, Long Island from 6 to 8 p.m. at uh, King Umberto's Restaurant in Elmont. Uh, It's a fundraiser. I know Mayor Rudy Giuliani is going to be there. I know the uh, Nassau County Executive uh, Bruce Blakeman is going to be there. If people want more information, they can go to CARA, C-A-R-A, the number four assembly.com that's cara for assembly.com and uh, this is a very competitive assembly race it's actually one of the few seats that the republicans have a genuine chance of uh, of picking up this year and uh, it's certainly going to be very interesting how is the, how is your assembly race looking so far cara I mean, I think I'm popular. Um, I grew up in this neighborhood, and I lived here my whole on and off my whole life. I know everybody here, and, and the more I'm, I'm walking around, getting, you know, going to businesses and going into house, knocking on people's doors, the more I'm realizing, oh my God, I know this person by extension. I know this person's friend's friend. I know this person's cousin. So you realize how many people you actually know in in your own area, and it's I'm very. Um, I'll be held accountable because if I'm going to be representing this area, you know, I live in this area and I come home from Albany and people are going to be like, what are you doing if I do something wrong? So I like that uh, element of running for local government where you're held accountable by your actual neighbors. But um, it, it's a, it's going to be a tight race. Um, you know, the closer you are to Queens, uh, the more, I guess, purple and blue it gets. Uh, the further out you go in Long Island, the more red it is. I live on the borderline of Queens mm-hmm. and I'm running against an incumbent who's been in there for, for five terms. And she, um, you know, she's not the most popular person, but she's not, I wouldn't call her unpopular. She she just has the name recognition because she's been here for a long time. She hasn't, in my opinion, and I don't like to talk bad, and I'm not saying she's done anything horrible. I mean, she's vote. I think her voting record is terrible when it, she votes with the um with a lot of the I get for a lot of the laws that that have happened in New York that I don't believe in. But um, other than that, I don't think she's a horrible person. I just think that um, she hasn't done enough for the community, and I think I could do a much better job because I live here and I really actually care about the community. Um, and it's, I think it's going to be a tight race. Uh, so, you know, I have, like you mentioned, I have this fundraiser on Wednesday. Um, people could come. I have people coming from out of state, actually. Um, I actually have Ashley Babbitt's mother coming from, from Texas. Oh, really? Yeah. So she's, she's become a friend of mine, um, just through the work that I've done with the political prisoners and with January 6th. So I have some interesting people there. And, um, it's it's like you said Wednesday from six to eight, and you can find out more about that. And if people and I've said to people if they want to sponsor a ticket, because I have a lot of friends, and we were just at a rally today in New York City. We're still doing the medical freedom rallies. Um, there's still a lot of mandates in New York City: firefighters, teachers, um, 
cops still haven't gotten their jobs back. A lot of people were fired because they didn't want to take the shot, and they're they're not working. So I, a lot of these people are my friends, and I you know I send them my flyer. It's one hundred fifty dollars to come to the fundraiser. Right. I feel bad, and some of them are like Harry, you know, I'm not working, and I'm like, oh, so I you know I put out a um an article in Gateway Pundit that if anyone wants to donate for a ticket, so some some of the you know so they can come to the fundraiser. And a lot of people have donated, so um, so there'll be some really great medical freedom people there. And if p- other people want to donate, please just go to caras, C-A-R-A, for assembly.com, and then you can see where my fundraising information is because, you know, I, I hate fundraising for myself. I fundraise for other people. I raised over $2 million for the political prisoners of January 6th, but really it's expensive to run for office. We have to send sure. out mailers. We have to make flyers. We have to put these loan funds on. We have to just it's – an, it's an insane amount of work. It's an insane amount of grassroots sure. work, and it costs money. So, well, that's so Karen, lastly, lastly, and then I, I do have to run, but since you bring up the, the January 6th folks uh, again – a lot of the proponents of bail reform make the same argument about people who are incarcerated at Rikers awaiting uh, awaiting trial and can't make bail and are stuck there. Has your advocacy for the January 6th folks given you maybe a new appreciation for uh, yeah. those that are advocating for not making uh, people stick, stay at Rikers because they can't afford to make bail? Right. It's, it's changed me in a lot of ways. It really has. And it's, it's only just begun for me. Like, I started this advocacy group a year and a half, and I've, I have a completely different viewpoint of the criminal justice system. That's the honest to God's truth. I've sit in and I watch prosecutors, and I watch how they work. Um, I've, I've read a lot of statements of facts, a lot of uh, documents. Uh, so, yeah, my, I'm, 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 I'm morphing and I'm changing when it comes to criminal justice and realizing that, you know, the system does need to be changed in a lot of ways. And, you know, it's just a, a matter of time before I start, you know, looking into and investigating stuff that goes on here in the state with the criminal justice system. I'm not going to say that I'm the most versed on it, but I will be because I'm mm. running for assembly and it's something that I'm really looking into. Right. But I could definitely say that my I've, I've, it's, I'm a changed person ever since I learned about uh, January 6th and the political persecution. And I do think that what you said, you know, about Rikers Island, yes, it's something that, that you're, it's a fair question. It's something that I would definitely. All right, Kara, wishing you the best of luck. And again, uh, her fundraiser is Wednesday in uh, New York, um, Nassau County, uh, 6 to 8 p.m. Mayor Rudy Giuliani is going to be there. Bruce Blakeman is going to be there. A number of other bold-faced names are going to be on yeah. hand as well. And follow me on Twitter, Frank, and, and extra followers, you too. There you go. Kara4Assembly.com if you want to learn more. Kara, thanks for staking up, staying up late. We'll talk soon. Thanks so much, Frank. Thank you. Be sure to give my friend John Tobacco a a tough time. Uh, And uh, I know John will think twice about crossing a boxer, a champion boxer. 800-848-9222. If you want to comment, that's 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Well, sweet friend. 
Marv Johnson, I love the way you love. 800-848-9222. Are you up on Corn Boy? Have you heard about this? This is really interesting. This is something I knew nothing about until yesterday, but is apparently one of the biggest uh, viral sensations in the world, Corn Boy. So evidently... Um, there's this fellow that gave an interview, a young man, a little boy who is obsessed with corn. Julian Shapiro um, Barnum, the host of Recess Therapy, he took to TikTok to post a hilarious video of himself interviewing a little boy eating corn. The young boy immediately lets out a huge grin and begins listing off his most favorite things about the vegetable, including how he likes it with butter. The little boy has been dubbed the corn kid, called the vegetable beautiful. The video has gone viral. And, well, listen to this. For me, I really like corn. What do you like about corn? Ever since I I was told that corn is real, it tasted good. Did you think corn wasn't real? But when I tried it with butter, everything changed. I love corn. Mmm, corn. Do you think everyone should be eating corn? No, not everyone has to like it to be the best. Yeah. Everyone just has to try it. Have a bite. What else are your favorite things? I play a variety of games. Hide and seek, tag, never lava monster. Yeah, mostly corn. I mean, then look at this then. I can't imagine a more beautiful thing. It's corn. It's corn. Because corn is awesome. Can you describe corn to someone who's never tasted it before? A big lump with knobs. It has the juice. It's the part that mostly makes me like the corn. How much do you think corn should cost? One dollar. I hope you really have a corn-tastic day. A corn-tastic day? It's just a pun about corn. I think that is pretty fun and pretty cute. So, not surprisingly, there is now, they've made this young man and that interview into a song, and this song is now burning up the internet. Here is the remix of The Corn Kid. For me, I really like corn. What do you like about corn? It's corn! My my friend Mario DeRay hates corn, and I thought of him when I saw this. And um, I don't think my dad's a big corn guy, but, you know, um, whatever. I, I'm not crazy about corn. I don't hate it the way Mario DeRay does, but social media users fell even more in love with the corn kid after hearing his pure and wholesome interview get turned into a song. Users even made duets paying tribute to the big lumps of knobs with while the corn kids viral lyrics played in the background and now although the corn kid has yet to reveal his name 
He's cashing in on his newfound fame with a cameo page where he creates personalized videos. That's right. You can go to Cameo and get the corn kid to wish your mother-in-law a happy birthday or something. He creates personalized videos for between $140 and $700. So if you have $140, you can get the corn kid to wish you a happy, uh, happy birthday. I still didn't get a birthday gift from my friend Lauren who called in earlier. Maybe I'll get her something from the corn kid before his prices skyrocket. Am I right? All right. Until next hour, we got denunciations coming up in a few in a few minutes. But until then, in the words of the great Bob Barker, help control the pet population. Get your dog or cat spayed or neutered. This is the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Thanks for listening. TGIF. Thank God it's Friday. Thank God it's Frank. Thanks for starting your weekend with me. Hopefully you're doing something fun this weekend. And uh, whatever you're doing, maybe you're just getting a chance to get a break from work, trying to relax a little bit, whatever the case may be. I appreciate you spending some time with me on the radio. And this is a portion of our week that a lot of folks get a big kick out of. I know I certainly do. It gives me an opportunity to get a lot off my chest. It is time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciations. Denunciations, a time where we denounce those that need denunciation, where we call out those that need some calling out. Let me begin with Christopher Garuffi. Christopher Garuffi, a Lindenhurst, New York man, was arrested and charged with animal cruelty after he threw a cat into the Great South Bay and assaulted its owner. Christopher Garuffi has been charged with animal cruelty, assault, and aggravated harassment. After an investigation, officials said Garuffi both threatened to harm and assaulted a man outside the Schooner Inn in Ocean Bay Park. He then threw the man's cat, which was trapped inside a cat carrier backpack, into the water. This guy is reprehensible. They ought to throw this guy into the water. Now, I'm not condoning any sort of violence. I can understand you getting upset with a human and wanting to get into a fight. I can understand that. I absolutely have no tolerance, no understanding, no patience for anybody that would assault an animal. And throw a, a, a pet into into the water. I mean, this is despicable. Christopher Garufi, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the 10-year-old scammers who are scamming people out of money. Did you see this in the New York Post on Sunday? An Upper East Side woman was scammed out of $10,000 by two angel-faced kids who looked no older than 10. Laura Grasso was strolling through Central Park when these young swindlers approached her. They said they were lost, and they asked to borrow her phone to call their mom. Instead of calling home, 
they used her Venmo app to send $1,000 to a business account with no phone number and labeled it. There was no phone number attached to it. The business account was labeled Black Lives Matter. The account used the name BLM201 and identified itself on the money transfer app as a fundraising business. It's since been removed. But it had made 14 private transactions as of Friday, and the account holder was located somewhere in Jersey City. So the bottom line is, if you're trying to be a good Samaritan, if you're trying to help someone anywhere in the country, this is not just a New York thing, but if you're trying to help someone and they ask you for your phone, be careful. Because with Venmo, you don't know what they're doing. They could be transferring all sorts of money. I must announce the city of Cape May, New Jersey, with a missed email and presumably a click of a mouse, eight years' worth of video recordings of city council meetings were deleted. This is nuts. The city of Cape May, which is a city that I I go to, they had used the platform Livestream to post and store videos of their meetings. The company was acquired by Vimeo, and the city decided to this year to make the move to YouTube. But evidently, they made some sort of a, an error, and they didn't make the proper payment to Vimeo after they were sent an email notic- notification asking for $499. All of their videos of city council meetings were deleted. Eight years of city council meetings, gone, gone, because they didn't pay proper attention to this email and didn't pay the bill. Cape May government, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Luis Miguel, Republican that was running for um, uh, state house in Florida. He wants to legalize... I can't even say this with a straight face. This guy is a real winner. This person, Luis Miguel, wants to legalize shooting federal agents. Republican Luis Miguel told Florida Politics on on Friday that he received a message from Twitter informing him that he is permanently suspended. This is what he tweeted. Under my plan, all Floridians will be able to shoot... FBI, IRS, ATF, and all other federal troops on site. And then he added, let freedom ring. Now, this is crazy. This is absolutely outrageous. To have a serious political candidate with a major party saying you should be able to shoot FBI agents, IRS agents, and ATF agents, and other federal troops on site, this is reprehensible. And now, I don't think this person has any hope of getting elected. I certainly hope not. But... What makes this so dangerous is that this widens the Overton window. If this nut job is out there saying you should be able to shoot IRS and FBI agents, then somebody else out there is going to say, oh, you know what? That kind of makes sense. Maybe we should shoot IRS and FBI agents. No, it's not right. Not appropriate. I must also denounce Ruben Torres. Ruben Torres is a boxer. He um, was in a lightweight fight in California on Saturday against Christian Baez. Ruben Torres touched gloves with Christian Baez and then immediately 
proceeded to sock him in the face. In the seventh round of a lightweight fight, um, both fighters had been knocked down. After Baez made the motion to touch gloves, Torres knocked his opponent out with a vicious sucker punch. The referee declared Torres's punch to be legal, and the fighter was unapologetic. If you look at the video, it was clearly a sucker punch. Sucker punch. Marco Ortega, who's a producer for uh, Fox, said it was a lie from Torres that he came out guns blazing. He went to touch gloves, gloves and then immediately uncorked the knockout blow. Um, this is clearly a sucker punch. And it was, I don't know if it was illegal, but it was clearly unsportsmanlike. And I hope you take a look at it because the video, I think, says a thousand words. The I want to denounce the L.A. County Sheriff's Office. The computer system at Los Angeles County's largest jail crashed over the weekend, causing an unknown number of people to be kept behind bars for days longer than they should have been. That's when the Sheriff's Department's jail information management system went offline at Men's Central Jail in downtown L.A. on Saturday. Staff were forced to process inmates for release by hand. Rodriguez said the system did not come back online until late Monday. The outage was caused by a manhole fire, but ultimately this meant that a whole bunch of defendants who should have been released, were stuck in jail. How would you like that? You're in jail, and you're told, oh, sorry, there's a computer error. You got to stick around, even though you should have been released. I mean, call me crazy, but shouldn't there be some redundancy for a system this important? Shouldn't there be a little backup for a system this important? I think there should be. Uh, I want to denounce Jeffrey Skelly, the mayor of Ogdensburg... He was charged on Tuesday uh, by sheriff's deputies with making a pair of false statements to police. In a news release, the St. Lawrence Lawrence County Sheriff's Office reported that Mayor Skelly was charged with two counts of providing a false statement. He was released on an appearance ticket. Apparently, the investigation revealed that Mr. Skelly provided two false written statements to Ogdensburg police officers During a subsequent police investigation, the complaint was received pursuant to an investigation in November of 2021. So uh, it's, I think, very poor. It's a very bad look for the mayor of any community to be making false statements to police. And uh, it had to do with um, a political adversary of the mayor and uh, a, sl- a, a tire slashing incident. So this fellow, Gerald Mack, retired captain with the fire department there, was accused of slashing tires at the mayor's residence. May 24th, Mr. Mack had charges of fourth degree stalking and fourth degree criminal mischief. Both misdemeanors dismissed due to lack of evidence. But Mac's case was reviewed by the acting DA, who was the special prosecutor assigned to the case. And in court documents, 
the acting DA stated that video evidence showed that Mac was um, at this particular location at the exact time someone was running down Elizabeth Street away from the scene of the reported tire slashing. Following the dismissal, the police announced that the investigation of the tire slashings would not continue. These two people, Mayor Skelly and Mr. Mack, um, have a, a history that goes back years. But um, apparently Mr. Skelly has been lying to the police about this particular incident, which is not something any mayor should do. Uh, I want to denounce the state of Utah. Utah is the worst state for women's equality. They are ranked last in the entire country for the fifth year in a row. This is according to the website WalletHub, which monitors this kind of thing. This report also included the following categories. Income gap, executive positions gap, work hours gap, educational attainment gap, political representation gap, and Utah ranked last in all categories except political representation. If you're a woman and you're interested in equality, Utah is not a good state for you. I want to denounce news addiction, and I want you to listen carefully to this, because I like to do a lot of show uh, subjects on this show other than the news. I like to get into aliens and history and crime and conspiracy theories and fun stuff and how handsome Kenneth is. And the reason I do that is because I had a feeling that news addiction was bad for you, and apparently I'm right. People with an obsessive urge to constantly check the news are more likely to suffer from stress, anxiety, as well as physical ill health. That's according to a new study published in the peer-reviewed journal Health Communication. During the last two years, we've lived with a series of very worrying global events, COVID, the uh, Russia-Ukraine war, mass shootings, wildfires, protests, George Floyd. And for a lot of people, reading bad news can make us feel temporarily powerless and distressed. For others, being exposed to a 24-hour news cycle of continually evolving events can have serious impacts on mental and physical well-being. And these findings published in this peer-reviewed journal show that if you're addicted to news, that's not good for you. It is not good for you. Take a break. Give yourself a break. And finally, I want to denounce FedEx Field, home to the Washington Commanders. I still can't believe this team is called the Washington Commanders. Anybody remember when they were called the Redskins? FedEx Field, home to the Washington Commanders, has been ranked as the worst stadium in the NFL. Yes, that's right. That's according to USA Today. Bet for the win ranked all 30 stadiums and determined that the Maryland venue, which will host the team's first regular season game against the Jaguars on September 11th, placed dead last. FedEx Field has had a number, a large number of problems, including transportation, high prices, and sewage water falling on stands. Ugh. Quote, look, there's no way around this. FedEx Field is awful. It's literally falling apart. Remember when a railing gave way back in January and sent a handful of Philly fans 
tumbling at the feet of Jalen Hurts or when the pipe burst in the fall of 2021 and sent questionable water all over fans? Yeah, said Caroline Darney, managing editor at Bet for the Win. If you're looking to see a football game, maybe cross FedEx Field off your list. All right, uh, that's uh, who I'm denouncing this week. Comments, questions, thoughts, analyses on anybody that I have denounced. You're welcome to give me a call, 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Coming up next hour, we'll chat with uh, Debbie Schlossel. We'll get a look at uh, what what's worth seeing, what's not worth seeing. She's uh, an attorney but also a film critic, and she'll give us her take on what films are worth seeing. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. by Janet Jackson. Now, I'm betting some of you have heard the song. Have you ever seen this music video? Well, let me tell you this. Watch it at your own risk. In a bizarre quirk of computer technology, this video, Janet Jackson's classic Rhythm Nation video, was found to crash certain laptops even if the sound was playing from another source. The video derives its lethal force from a frequency that is, roughly speaking, the speed of an audio vibration that aligns perilously close with the natural resonant frequency of certain laptop hard drives. The mind-boggling phenomenon, known as vibration resonance, has long wrought technological havoc with structures great and small, notably in the Tacoma Narrows Bridge Collapse back in 1940, 80 years ago. Technicians solved the mystery some time ago, but um, if you watch this video on your laptop, it could still screw you up. So if there's somebody that you don't like, maybe email them this video. Say, uh, hey, check this out. All right, 800-848-9222. I'm going to take your calls in a moment. That's uh, 800-848-9222. A couple of things I want to get to. Debbie Schlessel joining us an hour from now. NASA, who we've been covering because of the Artemis Project, because of everything that's happening in space, NASA is not taking its coming UFO investigation lightly. The agency announced in June that it will open a scientific study into UFOs. Uh, or as we call them now, UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. The main goals, according to NASA at the time, were to identify and characterize the available UFO data 
lay out the best ways to collect observations in the future and determine how the agency can use such data to advance our understanding of these puzzling sky sites. The study is going to be led by astrophysicist David Spurgle. He's the president of the Simons Foundation here in New York City. It's expected to cost no more than $100,000. Was that all? Uh, It's going to begin this fall, and it's going to last about nine months. NASA is working hard to keep to that schedule, and uh, they had a a town hall meeting on uh, Wednesday that uh, discussed various projects of the agency's science mission directorate. So this study panel that's part of this will consist of 15 to 17 people. These folks will be some of the world's leading scientists, data practitioners, artificial intelligence practitioners, aerospace safety experts, experts, all with a specific charge, which is to tell us how to apply the full focus of science and data to UAP. So there's that. Uh, 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Tom in the Bronx. Hello, Tom. Yeah, hi, Frank. I'd like to say that uh, you're right about uh, news junkies that listen constantly. It is uh, very much of an aggravating situation. It pushes people's blood pressure up and gets them aggravated and everything. When there was a newspaper strike years ago, the news, the Post, the Times all went out. There was a comment on radio news that because people didn't hear what was going on in other parts of the city, they actually calmed down. Did you ever hear that? No, I actually am not up on that. Yeah, that that was an assessment that was given on on the radio news at that time. I remember that. Uh, well, that's news to me. I uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know anything about that, Tom. But I'll I'll take your word for it. Thank you very much. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. In addition to this radio show, I do do a podcast, an individual podcast called the Racket Report. And uh, the most recent edition of the Racket Report posted yesterday, brand new, fr- hot off the podcast presses. And this edition focuses on. James Whitey Bulger, fascinating guy, fascinating guy. Uh, on the one hand, he's a rank-and-file hoodlum, goes to prison in Atlanta, and he's experimented on by the CIA, given LSD by the CIA as part of their MK Ultra program. Now, we've heard a lot about that MK Ultra program and how the CIA was drugging people and might have turned all sorts of people into killing machines, maybe Charles Manson, maybe Sirhan Sirhan. And lo and behold, what does Whitey Bulger become? He becomes a killing machine. Here's what else is interesting. The guy's the most prominent criminal in Massachusetts. His brother is the most prominent politician in Massachusetts. Here's what else is interesting. While he's the biggest gangster in Massachusetts, he's working with the FBI. Working with the FBI while he's a criminal. Imagine that. And when it comes time to arrest him, he's able to evade arrest. He's tipped off. How is he tipped off? Well, that's one of the questions I asked Michelle McPhee, Emmy-nominated investigative journalist, writer, screenwriter, brilliant journalist, 
in the latest edition of the Racket Report. Well, I mean, the narrative is that, you know, Connolly was the guy who tipped him with Morris's help. But you have to ask yourself a question. There's, you know, you, you think about the, the bags of money. You don't have two rank-and-file agents who have access to that kind of money that was given to Whitey and his henchmen. Like, that's the big question, Frank, and it's the question I've always had is how high did this go up? And did they let Whitey go before he started talking about exactly who his real sources were? And when you think about the the, the people in government, you know, in high-ranking offices that have been around this case since the very beginning, I, I mean, it raises an eyebrow. I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but I definitely think we have to take a look at history. And history shows that, yeah. John Connolly was buddies and grew up with Whitey, and he definitely tipped him off. And John Morris somehow ends up in the same city as Whitey after he goes on the lam. But how high up did this go? How high up indeed. Michelle McPhee was very candid, very outspoken in the most recent edition of the Racket Report. So I would encourage you to please download uh, the Racket Report. Subscribe to the podcast. You can find it on iTunes, on Google Podcasts, or anywhere. Just search The Racket Report, hit the subscribe button, or you can go to WABCradio.com and uh, hear the most latest edition. It was, I mean, it was a wild conversation. And I actually never expected it to go in the directions that it went. So please check it out. Now, I have been trying for, what, what month is it now? I've been trying for, I've been trying for two years to get, Bill de Blasio on this radio show because I think Bill de Blasio is an intelligent guy. And whenever I've met him on a personal level, the guy is just incredibly uh, polite. The guy's a nice guy on a personal level. You meet some other people that are not so nice. This guy's nice. But in my view, he was a terrible failure as a mayor, a terrible failure as a presidential candidate terrible failure as a would-be gubernatorial candidate, terrible failure as a congressional candidate, but one of the best spokesmen for his point of view that there is. So anyway, a friend of mine hosts a radio show on another channel. A friend of mine, Arthur Idala, he's on uh, AM 970, which is a great station. I used to work there, um, and they carry some of the WABC programming, namely the Cats Roundtable and uh, the Cats at Night show. And um, I've, you know, Joe Piscopo is still on there. And he interviewed Bill de Blasio. Now, Arthur knows, I guess he thinks that I know something about interviewing people. So he asks me before his show, what would you ask Bill de Blasio? And so I sent him a whole bunch of questions. A whole bunch of questions. One of them was this. Did you run for Congress just to raise enough money to pay off your legal bills. Because you think about it, the guy raised half a million dollars. He owes between four dollars and $500,000 in legal bills. He only spends $60,000. means he's got $450,000 to spend on legal bills. Now, that's a reasonable question. Listen to Bill de Blasio's response to that question, which I came up with. So people have asked me or or told me, they've told me, your boy de Blasio. I'm honored to be associated, Arthur. Only ran for Congress to raise money to bail himself out, and he had no intention of actually running. Those people are what we call idiots. Look at the godforsaken Twitter feed 
out there uh, during petitioning, night and morning, you know, all over the place, shaking hands, talking to people, listening to people. You don't do that, like, for show. That this we, we threw, I threw, my team threw our heart and soul into it. And in the beginning, it looked like a very promising situation. And then, you know, we saw way too much polling that said, you know, people were just not into it. That is an absurd response, okay? First of all, if you're Bill de Blasio, why do you have to resort to name-calling? You know, when people call into this show and they try to bash Anthony Fauci or Joe Biden or someone else and they try to call them a name, what do I always say? I say, please, there's no need for name-calling, including when they try to call Bill de Blasio a name. And yet Bill de Blasio wants to call me and other people that think that a name, idiots. I'm going to put aside for the moment the merits of what Bill de Blasio said because they're absurd. That's an absurd defense. Now, lo and behold, keep that in mind. Put a pin in that. Let us go to last night's edition of Jeopardy. My wife and I are home. We're taking care of our son. And Jeopardy is in reruns right now. And they're showing some good things because I guess, I don't know if it's next week or maybe it's the week after Labor Day, they're going to start Tournament of Champions Week, which we're all looking forward to. It's going to be big. That's where they separate the men from the boys. Now, Jeopardy's our favorite show. It's on in our house every day, you know, usually after dinner. Okay. But it's reruns. So sometimes you remember certain clues and sometimes this, sometimes that. We have Jeopardy on as we're, as we're you know, talking and I'm working on the show. I'm preparing to come in. Rachel's talking to me about our finances. And, you know, we're carrying on, but we got the show on in the background. Then Final Jeopardy comes around. Final Jeopardy. Now, in our house, when it's Final Jeopardy, everything stops. Everything stops. Whatever you have to do, it can wait two minutes. Final Jeopardy. Character, I mean, the uh, category in Final Jeopardy is Broadway musicals. Broadway musicals is the the, uh, category. Here's the clue. Characters Mark... Roger and Maureen in this musical were inspired by Marcello, Rodolfo, and Musetta in another work. That's the clue. So, I do you have any idea what this is? Do you have any idea what the clue is? What the answer is? No idea. If you had to make a guess, what would it be? Uh, what's that? The the, uh, the Neil Simon movie. Well, there's a few. I mean, the the couples. The Odd Couple? No. Something. It's two couples. I'm not sure which one you mean. All right. All right. So, I, I don't know. So you'd put Nielsen. Here's what I said to Rachel. I said, I don't know what it is. So it's a that means it's a musical that I haven't seen. And I said, I'm going to go ahead and guess that it's Rent. Because I know that Rent is based on something else. And I know, don't know those characters, so I know it's not a show that I've seen. So, it, you know, what I like to do with Jeopardy is if you don't know the answer, you take a guess. Take a guess. That's what I did. It was Rent. Lo and behold, the answer, Rent. And so I throw my hands up in the air like a champion. I say, you see? See, I have this move, this whole move when I get Final Jeopardy right. I feel so proud of myself when I get Final Jeopardy right, especially if some of the contestants get it wrong. I point to the television and then I point to my wife, and then I point to myself. That's my move. I go, you see? You see what happened there? Final Jeopardy, you're, you're married to someone that gets Final Jeopardy correct. And then 
she turns, to, she's holding our son at this point. She's holding our son and she turns to him and she said, oh, dad knew it. Dad got Final Jeopardy. Now, did he know it? Or, I mean, this is a rerun. Did he know it? Or did he just remember, remember it because he saw this? Did he know it or did he remember it? And I said, well, now, first of all, I did not remember this clue before. I don't think. But, you know, you accumulate so much knowledge, you're exposed to so much, you put it in the back of your brain. I did not remember this clue. But I said, I said to my wife, I said, well, all of Final Jeopardy, all of Jeopardy is remembering things. All of Jeopardy is just remembering things that you've somehow been exposed to. Maybe you heard it on television or on radio, maybe in a book or in a magazine or in school. But all of Jeopardy is remembering things. So, yes, I did remember it. And that was an explanation that went over like a lead balloon. She turns to me and she says, no, that no, that's not true. You know what I mean? You you, met, you might have just remembered it because you saw that this on television before because it's a rerun. I said, that's okay. If that's the case, it still counts just as much if I knew it because I saw the show. It's still the same as me remembering it. That doesn't count. That's what she said. It doesn't count because you didn't actually know the yes, answer. Yes, I did. You only remembered it because you already heard it on Jeopardy. First when, of you, all, when you heard it the first time, did you know the answer? First of all, I don't remember hearing this the first time. Second of all, it does count because it's exactly the same. I because I remembered it. I was oh. exposed to <laughs> it and I remembered Let it. Let me tell you what you did. This is and this is something that I did when I was a teenager. I used to be able to get Channel Eight from Connecticut in my room. Okay, and they used to play Wheel of Fortune. And then Jeopardy. And, you know, now they now on Channel 7 they play Jeopardy and then Wheel of Fortune. So I watched Wheel of Fortune. Went to have dinner with my family. And what's on the TV? The Wheel of Fortune episode I just watched. So when they start doing the puzzle, one letter pops up, and I guess the entire puzzle. And now my family no, no. thinks I'm a genius. No, no, that's, that's ridiculous. That's what you did. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because you're solving puzzles – I'm remembering facts. First of all, I remembered the puzzle. No, I saw no, it 20 no, minutes ago. No, no. First of all, I don't remember seeing this episode of Jeopardy. Second, I maintain that even if somehow in my subconscious I saw this episode of Jeopardy, it still counts just as much as if I knew it because I saw the show Rent. Think about that. You're delineating certain, and I had this whole conversation with her, and now it's going on, and now I'm running late actually because I got to get out the door, I got to go to this birthday party, I got to prepare for the show. And and I'm still I'm at the house having this whole conversation with her about how my knowledge, no matter how I accumulated it, it counts as the same as if, if whether it's because of a Jeopardy rerun or because I saw the show. And this is going over like a lead balloon. And she turns to our son and she says, "Dad is an idiot." I said, "Well, no, I'm not. I got Final Jeopardy." And she she says without missing a beat. Because she was listening to that radio show when Bill de Blasio made those comments. She said, well, according to Bill de Blasio, you are. <laughs> now, which, which I thought was very funny. You want to know how to, to really be impressive? When they announce the final Jeopardy category. I do that all the time. If you can guess the answer. Do it all the time. Do do you, and you get it right? Um, 10% of the time. Maybe 5% of the time. That's 5%. more impressive than, than this tonight. Yeah, 5% of the time. But I thought it was funny that my wife and Bill de Blasio both said that I was an idiot yesterday for totally different reasons. So there's that. 
All right, 800-848-9222. That's uh, 1-800-848-9222 if you want to comment on anything we're covering. Uh, this is the uh, coming up in about an hour. We'll talk with uh, Debbie Schlossel. We'll get a review of uh, movies that are worth checking out and some other things. 800-848-9222. Eight open lines if you want to comment. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Uh, great song, if ever there was one. If you ever want to know what kind of music we're playing, just uh, join our Facebook group. Uh, just go to Facebook, type uh, Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's uh, M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters, and we uh, will post everything that we're playing there. And if you uh, go to that particular Facebook group now, you will see a photo of uh, the very handsome Kenneth, who was told that he has to get a haircut in order to even be taken seriously by his modeling agency. So uh, there you have it. There you have it. You can see that, and you can comment on uh, any of the other issues that we're, that we're seeing. Uh, a lot of people having fun with the, uh, the Kenneth photo. Uh, uh, let's see here. Obi Murray saying, um, <laughs> he's saying, I had that haircut in the Army. It looked better on me. That's funny. Grace writing, nice-looking young man. I agree. He's a nice-looking young man. Susie writes, nice, clean appearance, splashed with the it factor. Oh, please. The it factor? The it factor? Come on. Mixed with BDE. Oh, I know what BDE is. I shouldn't be saying that already. Wishing you all the very best. That's according to Susie. Maureen writes, yeah, he got the look. Perhaps a different hairstyle. Much luck in your future. And uh, Neil writes, nice haircut. So that's that. Um, all right. You can find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. And you can find me on um, Instagram at Morano Vision. That's uh, M-O-R-A-N-O Vision. Where, you know, yesterday was my son's nine-month birthday. He was officially nine months old. So three-quarters of, of a year. So I... Um, Posted on Instagram, exclusively to Instagram, a photo of him at nine months, just his face. See, he doesn't sound like this anymore. 
And if you want to know what he does sound like, my wife posted a video of him um, flailing his arms and shrieking like a screech owl. So she posted that. I have shared that video as one of my stories on Instagram. So if you want to see what my son looks like at nine months, uh, you can do so by going to Morano Vision, M-O-R-A-N-O Vision. You want to email me, you can do so, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Christopher writes on the subject of corn. My mother told me, that when she was growing up in the 40s in Sicily, they always used corn as feed for the farm animals. It wasn't until she came to the U.S. and sat for dinner with her cousins and they served corn that she tried it and loved it. At first, she was offended when they served it, but they told her to just try it. Now she serves corn every chance she gets. You know what you have to do? If you like documentaries and you're legitimately interested in the future of agriculture in this country... See the documentary, I think it's on Netflix, at least it used to be. You could probably find it any number of places. King Corn. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It will change your um you will it will change your opinion on agricultural pol- policy in this country. So there's that. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. It is pizza day here on the, the other side of midnight's Friday. So uh, we do order pizza, except for uh, Kenneth, who uh, we got some meatballs for. Uh, Matt Blaze, I noticed you indulging in the pizza today. What was your uh, review? Oh, I, t- I tried so hard not to, mm-hmm. but I did have one of those white slices because I, I could not resist. See, I didn't slices. try it yet, but I'm going to try it. Yeah, uh, what did you good. think? What was your review? Because it's, it's a lot of regret. Right. And it was excellent. Probably the best one I've had in a while. Wow, okay. That's pizza. something. I'm, I'm going to, I may try that after Very the good. show now, even though I'm trying to refrain. <laughs> and then, uh, Kenneth, I know um, you are you are not able to eat cheese. What was your story? What was your review of the meatballs that we purchased for you? I'd probably give the meatballs like a 7 out of 10. They were solid. The, so- okay. the sauce was really good. Okay. Well, that is, um, that is, okay, that's something. All right, 800-848-9222. Coming up in uh, just about uh, half hour, Debbie Schlussel's got some movie reviews. Debbie Schlussel, if you have not heard her movie review segment, she's a fascinating woman. She's a, a lawyer, and she's a conservative, very outspoken conservative. And she sees these films, and she's able to see all sorts of surreptitious political meaning to these films that I don't see. And so sometimes that'll affect her reviews. But I find her very amusing, and uh, I find her very funny. Sometimes I can't tell. There's no question she's smart, so I don't want to sound like I'm knocking her. But I can't tell whether she's intentionally funny or unintentionally funny at times. But she gets very worked up, very worked up, that's for sure. Uh, 800-848-9222 if you want to comment. Jay is in Edison, New Jersey. Hello, Jay. Yeah, hi, Frank. Uh, You know, sometimes you have that... Uh, segment where you say ask Frank anything. So I thought right maybe first hour of uh, the Friday show. Yeah. Yes, I thought maybe interesting to try something different and see what you think of this. So let's say you'll play the role of someone, you know, historical person or celebrity, and you whatever you think the truth is. If you were playing them, you're going to say what the truth really is. So I'll ask you a question, and then you respond. But it's the truth as you see it, as you know it. But you're playing that person. Okay. So for example, let's take O.J. Simpson. 
So now you are O.J. Simpson, and we'll do it right now. You're O.J. Simpson, and you know what the truth is. So I'll ask you the question, and then you go ahead and elaborate on it. So I'm going to ask you, okay, what happened to Ron Goldman and Nicole Brown Simpson, O.J., on that night? That's an example. And then you, whatever you think the truth is, whatever, Frank, whatever you think the truth is, you're O.J. now, and O.J. has to tell the truth. For whatever reason, he's going to make millions of dollars and he's going to get, you know, forgiven if he did anything. But that could just be like an OJ's case. So I'm saying to you, Frank, OK, what happened on that night and why? Well, I, I um, you know, I had she had she answered the door without holding a weapon, she'd still be alive. And uh, she answered the door. Uh, she was holding a weapon and she mouthed off to me and I killed her. What kind of weapon was she holding? It was uh, either a knife or a broken um, a broken wine bottle. Why did you feel so threatened? Uh, you know, I, I didn't think. I just reacted. Were you using drugs? That, were you on drugs that night? Uh, no. No, I never did drugs. Was anyone there with you? Um, if I did it, I couldn't have done it by myself. Okay. That's very interesting. So that's it. So that was just a take on it. And maybe some other people would like to know, like, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're Ronald Reagan. You know, how much knowledge did you have, Ronald, or President Reagan, of Iran-Contra? Mm-hmm. So some people may have interesting things they want to know, and they get your opinion of what you really think happened or what you really Yeah, well, that's not bad. That is interesting. It's kind of interesting. That so, is so interesting. I just thought it might be interesting. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, that's not bad. Maybe we'll, we'll explore that one night. There, um, you know, some of that on the OJ front specifically is from the uh, 30 for 30 documentary on OJ Simpson, where OJ said some of those things to confidants of him, of of his, about why Nicole Brown was killed and his state of mind when she answered the door. So uh, 800-848-9222. Peter is on Staten Island. Hello, Peter. Hey, Frank, I was wondering, you know, with the O.J. case, it was back. It was a big adventure and everything. I loved him in uh, the, that police. Uh, right. Naked gun. Naked gun. Sure. Naked gun. Yeah. But the thing is this: could the same DNA of a son be the same as a father? That's my question to you. Well, look, I don't pretend to be a DNA expert, but clearly Barry Shack was able to convince Enough of the jury that uh, that uh, that maybe there was some doubt there. Um, so I don't know. I think there are some similarities. I don't think it could be the same. But again, I'm not a not a DNA expert. Right. Yeah, uh, Frank. Yeah. I was uh, in the AC yesterday for the air show at the Pagoda. It was great. Oh, I was cool. on the 26th floor. And my God, one of the planes looked like it was coming right through the window. My wife and I, we ran in the hallway. And <laughs> we got. Yeah, that's a great show. I've seen it before. I'm sorry I couldn't be out there uh, yesterday, but uh, I'm glad you got to see it. That's really something, isn't it? Yeah, the best I ever saw it, I saw it at the Chelsea Hotel by the Tropicana about four years ago. We were in the pool on the top of the roof on the sixth floor. It yeah, fantastic. Yeah, that, that uh, it's pretty neat. I'm glad you got to see it. I'm envious of you, Peter. 
<laughs> so was Rita Cosby. She said it last night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, R- thank you, Peter. Rita and I are working on a, a, a joint trip to Atlantic City, which would be a lot of fun. So uh, we know a lot of the same people out there. So uh, hopefully we can uh, we can have that come to fruition sometime soon. 800-848-9222. That's uh, 1-800-848-9222. Oh, I wanted to give a shout out uh, to somebody that I'm told listens to this show every day in this hour. Joe, the stage manager on Fox 5's um, in New York, the Fox 5 Good Day New York program, listens every day as he prepares Good Day New York. Now, Here's what's interesting to me. I don't know Joe, never spoken to Joe. I'm just told he's a big fan and listens all the time. Big shout-out to you, Joe. You do great work over there with uh, Rosanna Scotto and everybody. Why have I never been invited on Good Day New York? You know, I get all these messages on a regular basis. People that work at Fox News, um, you know, uh, ABC, ABC7, the Today Show, all these early shows – they listen to me on their way in. They're all saying, oh, how great this is. So but the only person that has invited me on one of their morning shows are is the folks at Pix 11 that want to do a segment about how we're trying to get everybody um, a kidney. Everybody that wants a kidney, we're trying to get them a kidney. And he says, no, that's fun. Why don't we do a segment on that? So we're working on that. We're going to maybe hopefully do a segment on that. But I don't understand. These people that uh, have prominent television shows, they should invite me on to spread the word about this show. Otherwise, if they're just absorbing the content that we're putting out there, they're being a, a content freeloader, which is really, really disappointing, I must say. 800 uh, 800-848-9222. Larry is in Brooklyn. Hello, Larry. Hey, Frank. You know, when you mentioned Debbie Schlissel, I get very happy. I love that woman. Oh, good. You know, she's, you know she said something. You know, she's so genuine. I, I think she could be the next Ann Coulter, you know, because she said something last uh, at a previous interview that I hadn't heard before, and it was so brilliant. You know, we're talking about the January 6th committee, and I think you mentioned something like, hey, haven't we investigated it before? And she said, yeah, it was called the impeachment hearing. And I said to myself, holy cow, that's what it was. He was already – the impeachment hearing was really what the January 6th committee is all about. They're just repeating the whole thing. Now, if you think about it, there's nothing – they were just wasting a, a time. They can't do anything to Trump um, after he's out of office except prevent him from running again. So they spent months and months wasting our time just to prevent him from running again. Well, how can they prevent him from running again? Because uh, if they find that he he uh, contributed he, he uh, contributed to the uh, insurrection, there's some kind of provision that if that if somebody is uh, causes an insurrection, uh, an official, a government official, they cannot they could be barred from pursuing office now nah, you know I, I in the constitution that would that would not withstand constitutional muster uh so uh that would not right that would not hold but why are they doing it then then there's no other i mean they, they put people in jail but that's not has nothing to do with the committee well they can't be people in jail congress has no ability to put people in jail prosecutors can no put i'm talking i'm talking about the rioters the right right well yeah so what, what's that, the purpose that's... of the committee 
Well, you got me. I was not a big proponent of the committee, Larry. I have said, and again, my interest in continuing to discuss January 6th is less than zero. I'm so over it. I have no interest in in continuing to discuss this. It kills me that this is what mandate, that this is what gets so much attention on cable news while we're in the midst of constantly droning human beings to death in Somalia, while there's a humanitarian crisis going on in Yemen, while there's a humanitarian, several humanitarian crises going on in Syria, and all people want to talk about on both sides, January 6th, January 6th, I'm over it. But uh, the point is, I have always said that the January 6th committee was political. I think it's about making Trump supporters look bad and making Trump himself look bad. Um, but uh, I, I really question what the what the value is to anybody. But again, I, I don't have a big interest in continuing to discuss it. All right, eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Coming up, we got Debbie Schlessel. We got the thousand dollar minute. We got fifteen seconds of fame. We have movie reviews. We got a lot to get to. Whatever you want to comment on, now's the time. Eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. This is the other side of midnight. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Grant. Your influence counts. Make sure you use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Thanks for listening. Thank God it's Friday. Hopefully you're doing something fun this weekend. I may play a little racquetball this morning. Um, so that'll be that'll be interesting. I haven't played in about at least, least 15 years. So I may play some racquetball, take a nap, and uh, make a pilgrimage to my Aunt Camille. Uh, she's prepared something. And then um, tomorrow we're having a... A neighbor's party. I'm going to go to the Sid Rosenberg book event uh, in Brooklyn, and then we're having a, a neighbor's party, so that'll be fun. Now, for the last, what year is it? For the last eight years, more, last eight and a half years that I have been on the radio, I have been getting regular calls from a, for lack of a better description, cantankerous former art critic and an astute observer of the political scene by the name of Charlie Finch. Now, I first got to got exposed to Charlie Finch because he was a friend of uh, Dr. Rock Positano, who was a friend of Joe Piscopo. And I was producing Joe Piscopo's radio show at the time, and Charlie Finch would literally literally call every day. You know, we have callers. That call every day, like um, Neil in Staten Island, uh, Steve from Manhattan, Tom from the Bronx, um, you know, uh, uh, Carol from New Jersey. You know, Charlie Finch was one of these guys. 
But Charlie Finch was interesting in that whatever the su- – he was almost like Chris from the Catskills or Alex Barnard in that whatever the subject we were talking about was, he would always have an incredible amount of knowledge about that subject and an incredible amount of personal – somehow he would have a personal experience to it. Didn't mean – didn't matter what we were discussing. You could be discussing Ebola. He said, well, you know, my ex-wife's cousin had Ebola. And and he would have a whole thing about it. And the way he would speak about issues was so, for lack of a better description, authoritative. I'll say that. I'll put it politely. Some people might call it pompous. It was authoritative. And he t- thought that he was a contributor and a producer to the Joe Piscopo show, which I was producing at the time. And then that's a role that he continued in his own brain on the solo show that I did on another station and then on this show. For instance, I remember a year or so ago, more than a year ago, I was interviewing Bruce Charrett about um, – Bruce Charrett was into – we were talking about the Rat Pack and Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. And, of course, Charlie Finch calls in. Charlie Finch has a question for Arthur Idala. Hello, Charlie. Well, I have a question, but you guys are so great. How about a couple of anecdotes from my life? And by the way, uh, Shirley McLean was the sexiest member of the Rat Pack. I saw the Stones, Arthur, twice in 72 at the Garden, and all six nights in 75, and I'll get to my Geraldo story in a, in a, quickly in a second. I had front row seats at the Stones six nights at the Garden, and you think those would be the best seats in the house. Wrong. You're down there with prostitutes. Uniform NYPD guys working security, uh, you know, and um, you're trying to smoke some pot. And Mick Jagger leans over, and every five seconds, he shoots a huge loogie right on top of you. So you're dodging Mick Jagger's spit. Now, when I met Geraldo, in 72, I would commute from Yale and work as the... New York State student coordinator for George McGovern in the general election. I have been to the one-on-one concert, which Geraldo uh, produced with John Lennon and Yoko, Stevie Wonder, Shannon, to benefit Willowbrook. And the only time I met Geraldo was in October of 72, when I was assigned to spend the day with him. He was a local reporter for ABC, just uh, the former Jerry Rivers making his bones. So I spent the whole day with Geraldo. It was a very different environment. And I organized a big rally at Columbus Circle where myself, Geraldo, and Gloria Steinem would march downtown, you know, beating the drums for George McGovern, a guy who talked like Liberace, speaking of Vegas. And Geraldo and I talked all the way. He did a big feature on it for local ABC that night. But the thing was, Arthur, I got to go back with Gloria Steinem at age 19 to her apartment across from Polly Prep's old rival, a school which I went to, which my grandfather founded, called the Buckley School. We used to whip poly prep every, in every sport, and I was a star in all of them long, long ago. So I was there with Gloria Steinem, and she was so hot. Uh, and she uh, serves me a cup of tea, and I'm 19, I thought, man, I ought to put the moves on her. Didn't do it, and now I'm here with Frank Morano. There you have it. Thank, uh, thank uh, you. Uh, so that was basically the gist of a lot of Charlie's calls. He It would start out somehow relating to a subject that we were talking about on the air, and then it would very quickly become about Charlie's relationship to that subject, whatever it was. So 10 days ago, 
I received an email. I'm on these. I'm on this this email group with a bunch of Charlie's friends and family. So at ten days ago, I received an email from a friend of his that uh, to sent to a bunch of other of uh, Charlie's friends. Apparently, Charlie has not been in the best of health for the last few months or so. And this email said Charlie called me twice in a short time from Bellevue. As all of you who are familiar with him know, he can be coldly rational and then not not be, to say the least. Today on both calls, he was rational. Sounded okay. And then went on to tell me that the people who interviewed him into going in there completely lied to him. He was told after that is not going to have his scheduled radiation treatments or the spinal surgery he was supposed to have. They have not supplied him with diapers. They're feeding him a heavily salted diet, which is terrible for him. They told him he was going to be in a comfortable room upstairs, but they put him into an airless and windowless room in the basement with no books or anything else and no access to anything. He told me he literally can't breathe. He has a minder sitting in a chair across the room, and if he gets up, he gets put right down. They put him a flimsy, old, comfortable, uncomfortable cot. He can only get water if he asks for it. There's only one phone on the entire floor. He doesn't trust anything they told him, including the duration of his stay. He's worried he will lose everything, his clothing, his apartment, his bills will have to be paid while he's there, and um, he, he wants and needs help from all of you. He can't have a visitor or even receive mail at this point. And then this person writes all in red. His second call was a plea to get him out of there by any means possible. That was 10 days ago. Okay. And since then, I've been getting a lot of other updates on uh, on Charlie Finch's well-being, his status. And ultimately, a few days ago, he was released from Bellevue. Thinking, okay, that's good news. And maybe we can get more phone calls like this one from four and a half years ago. So uh, a guy that knows quite a bit about everything we've been talking about, I'm sorry to make him suffer through 15 minutes of wrestling discussion, is uh, the one and only Charlie Finch. Charlie, good morning. Now, try that one, Matt. There you go. Charlie, good morning. Good morning, morning. gentlemen. I sent you some information on the Episcopal Church, my church, even though I'm also born again. Uh, You know what word is in the middle of Episcopal, Frank? Uh, Episcopal. Aha, because it means bishop. (laughs) Now, where did Lenore Skenazy, your 8 o'clock hour guest, go to college? Uh, I am sure. I didn't know this, but I'm sure it was Yale. Absolutely. Class 81 (laughs) keeps those... Yale is going, and since you missed one of the greatest Mets games in history, and I have to confess I fell asleep right after Seth Lugo stranded Bryce Harper on third with the bases loaded with what Travis Darno has called his disgusting curveball, a very valuable uh, piece of Mets collectability, which you might want to show to your great listener, Hank. Now, Maggie Haberman, superstar Times reporter, your former New York one colleague on whom you have a crush. Every time, Frank Morano, she reports on the Mueller investigation, the Times, every time she has a caveat where she says, and nothing has been shown to indicate any FBI malfeasance in this inquiry. She does it over and over and over again. She should be fired and Trump should come on the show, and Hugh Hewitt should stop attacking Peter Navarro every day on this station. So basically, right? I'll, I'm going to, because he goes on for a while there. 
That was the gist of a lot of Charlie's calls, right? It was him giving his take on the news, but he said it in a way that was very difficult to interrupt. He said it in a way that was very difficult to interject. And um, he would have an interest in whatever you had an interest in. If you were interested in Boston Legal, the show Boston Legal, he was interested in that. The the Mets, you heard the reference to the Mets there. He would make a reference to that. He found a way to connect the guest that I was interviewing on that particular show, which was Lenore Skenazy, to him going to Yale. So he was very good, on the one hand, at relating to people. But on the other hand, it was almost as if he had Asperger's or something. And it was very difficult for him to relate to people socially. I actually, in eight years... Of talking to Charlie Finch, we would talk on the phone all the time. We would talk on the radio all the time. He would leave me voice messages all the time. He would send me mail, articles um, that I based on things that I talked about, memorabilia, baseball cards for Carmine, campaign buttons from campaigns that he'd worked on. I never met him once in person. Never met him once in person. I almost met him once at his birthday party, but I ended up going to... Um, Norman Mailer's son's birthday party instead. And I think it was actually, he didn't actually make it because it was rained out or something. But uh, this was the gist, more or less, of most of Charlie's calls. Charlie Finch, Professor Finch, one of our more astute listeners and a loyal listener. We appreciate that, Charlie. Merry Christmas, my friend. What's on your mind today? Merry Christmas, Joe. Before I get to Frank Morano's big fight with his girlfriend Friday, uh, Rachel, that forced him to cancel dinner at your wonderful sponsor, Michael's of Brooklyn. Let me say that I have three words that can kill your candidacy for governor of New Jersey. Uh Uh-oh. Buckwheat is dead. (laughs) Do you know how radical the stuff you did with Eddie was? I've been watching it the last few weeks, and frankly, it turns my favorite African-American comics, Richard Pryor and Chris Rock, into buckwheat. Yeah. Joe, you got to get the nomination. No primary for the Republicans. Get a separate line. You can get the African American vote hmm. in the inner cities. Do hmm. it right. Yeah. Get it to win it. And you know I... when the fun is going to start with Donald Trump? When's that? When he starts firing people. The over under is April, Big Al. Merry <laughs> Christmas, everybody. So that was, again, that was the gist of all Charlie's calls. But he was always found a way to personalize it. For instance, a friend of mine, JFK, Jason Frank Konigsberg, comes on the show usually during Oscar season and he reviews films and he gives his Oscar picks. And that was something that, and again, I can't stress, Charlie called every single day. And then after the show, he would call and leave me voice messages again and again. Uh, And he mentioned JFK in one of the, and the Oscar show on one of his calls to me. Charlie Finch is on the line. Hello there, Charlie. Good morning. Good morning, Frank. You're going to have JFK on your show next week to preview the Oscars? Yes, I'm planning on it. And it was that kind of thing. It was that kind of guy. Now, why are we mentioning this? Now, it just so happens, you know, the listener, David in the Bronx, he reached out to me on Twitter the other day. He said, whatever happened to Charlie Finch? I haven't heard from him in a while. Now, Charlie's been in poor health over the last uh, couple of months, as I mentioned. And um, I was feeling pretty good, though, about Charlie because oh, a couple of days ago I heard he was home, been released, and was doing good. Yesterday, I received this email. I don't know if I should share this, but it was sent to me and um, 80 other people. So I'm going to share it. I, I don't know if this is appropriate, but okay. It's not a secret because it was sent to 80 total strangers to me. So I'm going to share this. From a friend of Charlie's. 
Charlie killed himself last night by jumping out his window. So Charlie passed away, and then um, his son sent out an email to everybody, and then he sent out an email. He sent a message on Twitter to me privately. Um, but then, you know, in this email, he said, Dear friends of my father, I wanted to thank you all for being my father's support network while he was alive. I'm devastated that he's gone. We spoke yesterday, and I thought he sounded better. And we'd been talking a lot in the past week about plans for his future. We thought he might move to Florida. Strange to think of it now. I had finally convinced him to let the social worker come to his house, and I was planning to come in to help him start radiation. Apparently, he was suffering from cancer. But he was on the edge for weeks. I know how much all of you matter to him. If you have a spare moment, I'd love to hear your memories of him. I'm just terribly, terribly sad that he's gone, that he was suffering. Um, And he writes that I'll be in New York looking after my father's affairs. They're going to plan a memorial service in September. I hope some of you can make it. My father loved so much about life. He loved being a grandparent. He loved art. He loved the Yankees. He loved the ocean. He loved the armory show. Buckley and Andover and Yale. He loved the conversation, friendship. Boswell's Life of Johnson. He loved the radio. Mencken, Rembrandt. He loved New York City, the East Village, his brother Will. He loved all of his old flames. He loved writing. He loved learning. He loved Veselka. He loved me. I'll miss him so much. Thank you for knowing him. So I wanted to, if people wanted to call in and share a remembrance of Charlie, I wanted to give them the opportunity to do so. He was not only a big part of all the radio shows that I've been a part of for the last eight years, but he's been a big part of the Joe Piscopo show for the last eight or nine years. And he used to formerly uh, host a show on WBAI. Uh, and uh, if you want to comment, you can. 800-848-9222. Now, he was primarily known as an art critic. And the art artnews.com has his obituary. And it says this. It says, Charlie Finch, a cantankerous columnist whose gossipy writings... This is the headline in the obituary, by the way. How'd you like this for a headline? Charlie Finch, art columnist who polarized New York, dies at 68. That's the, that's the headline. And it says, Charlie Finch, a cantankerous columnist whose gossipy writings were widely read in the New York scene, has died at 68. Walter Robinson, a former editor of Artnet who hired Finch as a critic, announced Finch's death on Instagram. Robinson said that Finch had died by uh, defenestration and that he had been battling cancer and un- uh, other unspecified health issues. I'm not going to read this whole thing. I'll just say this. Finch's writing, which regularly appeared on Artnet magazine for the better part of two decades, beginning in the late 90s, were frequently met with allegations of sexism, takedowns on competing art blogs, and general chatter about the vicious hearsay he reported. Many of his articles were politically incorrect in a way that seemed deliberate. Now, that's quite an obituary. I mean, it was, uh, it was quite critical. Anyway, Charlie Finch, you know Ed Cox, who you hear on the, um, the Cats at Night show? He was on just yesterday, but he's on regularly. Um, Ed Cox's middle name is Finch. And that's because um, Ed, Ed Cox's mother's family are Finch's. And I believe that Charlie Finch and Edward Finch Cox are actually first cousins. They might be first cousins once removed, but I think they're first cousins. So Charlie always took a great deal of pride in the fact that um, that he was uh, Ed Cox's cousin. 
and uh, he mentioned that pre, uh, pretty often. I don't think they kept in touch, but um, it is sad. And uh, I do want to. I felt like we owed it to Charlie because he's worked. He worked so hard over the last eight, eight or nine years that I've been on the radio to bring you some entertainment, some enjoyment, and some uh, insight into the news of the day. And uh, even though I never met him in person, and even though the guy drove me crazy, the guy drove me absolutely crazy. He would lecture me both on the radio and privately about every single thing that I was doing wrong, Inclu- in some ways in very hyperbolic terms, at tones, and in ways that was not at all polite. Even though he drove me crazy, uh, I always got the sense that whenever he corrected me on something, whenever he sent me a letter, whenever he sent me a note, whenever he sent me a piece of memorabilia, it was done from a place of love. And there are so many listeners and callers to talk radio that just seem like they disappear. And a lot of times we on the radio and those of us that listen to the radio, we don't know what happens to them. So Charlie was a big part of so many people's lives. I figured you'd want to know that he's passed away. And if you wanted to share a remembrance of him, you can. 800-848-9222. This is a, a typical Charlie Finch call. Hey, let me go some phone calls. We got, we'll get a lot to, to get into today. 627 right now. Let me go to Charlie. Professor Finch checking in this early in the morning. Charlie, how are you on this Good Friday, sir? Really Fine. Joe, the way to deal with the chai comms is to make them pay for all the COVID vaccines worldwide in perpetuity. Like Trump did with the Iranians, you seize all their funds from the New York banks. Then you put President Xi and his cronies on trial for crimes against humanity in the world court. Easy, right? Amen. Amen. Okay, thank you, sir. On the mayor's race, the person in Jubilee has the most power in the mayor's race is someone you can hear right here at 8 a.m. on the Cats Roundtable exclusively, a.m. 970 this Sunday. His name is Frank Morano. Between 2004 and 2016, every four years, the City Charter Commission met, and Frank Morano went and testified on ranked choice voting, an issue only he cared about. The first three times over 12 years, the Charter Commission rejected him. In 2016, and Casey Stingle will say you can look it up, Al Cotullo mocked him on the air. Guess what? The City Charter Commission listened to Morano. They put ranked choice voting on the ballot, and the voters of this city passed it by 71.3%. Other than what he did for Bloomberg, this is the only success that the radio star Morano has ever had in city <laughs> politics, right? And I'm supporting it, now, even though I think it's now, insane. Let me interrupt here, because even Joe got a little annoyed. I mean, what kind of thing is that to say? And then he had some con- – first of all, not everything Charlie said was accurate there. There were a number of facts errors but what kind of a thing is that to say about someone so i thought that was very funny but that was charlie finch um to a t um this was charlie calling me when curtis was running for mayor talking about curtis's candidacy frank charlie finch i have an idea to rescue sliwa please pay close attention it's a private voicemail remember gus the polar bear isolated, going mentally ill for years in the Central Park Zoo. Get video of Gus the Polar Bear. Get video of Eric Adams. Two crazy people, right? Link them in a commercial with a narration, right? Huh? Okay. 
figure it out. So that was basically uh, the kind of messages Charlie would leave me on a, on a regular basis. There was a Village Voice profile of Charlie, um, and uh, it was filled, according to Art News, with attempts by elite art world figures to explain why he acted in the way that he did. Robert Storr, a curator at the Museum of Modern Art, said, quote, he's a disillusioned liberal who is interested in how power operates and how it's abused. And... Uh, as the art, this is what Art News, the obituary says, the details surrounding Finch's biography remain somewhat hazy because he did not seem interested in discussing them. He reportedly grew up on the Upper East Side and launched into a political career after attending Yale. Finch went on the campaign trail for Gary Hart and Carol Bellamy, and that gets into a bunch of other things. Uh, but you could read it if you want. Um, I, uh, I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss his contributions to this show. I'm going to miss his uh, contributions to me as an individual. I'll miss his little articles, his packages, his uh, bits of memorabilia in the mail. The guy uh, struck me as a brilliant man and uh, somebody that was kind of lonely. And he'd been divorced a couple of times. And uh, to me, if in fact he did kill himself, which appears to be the case, I think that's incredibly sad because clearly he had a lot of people that loved him. He had a a family that loved him and uh, all those folks. And the guy was a young man. I know he was sick and I'm not going to judge anybody, but uh, the guy was only 68 years old. And to uh, leave your children and your grandchildren like that is something that I I just can't imagine. Somebody messaged me when, uh, when Charlie passed away and the news hit the obituary. They, they sent me this. He sounds like he was really a jerk, but he was incredibly bright and knowledgeable. In his calls to you, sometimes he came off as a jerk, sometimes, but I wonder why. I wonder what happened to him to make him that way. I always kind of wondered the same thing, too. Uh, The guy had an encyclopedic knowledge of New York. He seemed to know everybody. He was best friends with Richard Johnson, who was with Page Six, and then he launched his own column. Now he's with the Daily News. And he was incredibly good at getting items placed in the gossip pages. So I think he was um, a a very well-intentioned guy and was a very impressive art critic. As as far as the art world in the New York area goes, there were few people more accomplished than uh, than Charlie Finch. So I'm going to miss him, uh, and uh, I wish him the best, and I wish his family the best, and uh, I, uh, I I will be at his memorial whenever whenever it takes place, and I'll keep you posted in case you want to go. All right, uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to win a thousand dollars on a brighter note. If you want to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, you can do so by calling in and being the seventh caller now to 800-848-9222. That's uh, 800-848-9222. If you are, then uh, we're going to give you an opportunity to try and answer those 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. And then the one and only Debbie Schlossel is uh, here, and she has some films to review. Looking forward to that. This is The Other Side of Midnight Straight Ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Half hour till uh, we can start our weekend here on this show. Debbie Schlussel coming up in just a moment. But first, we're going to try and give away some money. And uh, if you uh, think you have what it takes, then uh, perhaps one day you will be the lucky recipient of an opportunity to play. The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Morano. Ah, yes. Let us say hello to Jeff on Staten Island. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Frank. Jeff, you're familiar with the game, I assume, right? Yes. All right. So uh, why don't we go ahead and get started if you're ready? Go ahead. I'm ready. What is a day of the week that ends with Y? Tuesday. What former pro wrestler starred in the films Moana, The Fast and the Furious sequels, and Be Cool? I think I'm finished already. (laughs) He's the biggest star in Hollywood. Uh, Dwayne Johnson. Who was the last mayor of New York City? Uh, the last one before the current one? Yes. Uh, Bill de Blasio. What is the only NFL team that plays its home games in New York State? Uh, the Buffalo Bills. Name a casino currently in Atlantic City. Uh, the Sands? Is it Trump? <laughs> Trump. Uh, I'm sorry. Both of those are are incorrect. <laughs> there are no Trump properties and the, there's no Sands there are nine casinos. Should be gambling more. No, no. Well, maybe uh, just listen to the <laughs> segments we do on gambling, and, uh, and you'll. So I'm sorry, Jeff. You got up to uh, question five. I'm going to put you on hold. Give your information to Kenneth, and we will uh, we will give you uh, a consolation prize. Uh, but um, I don't think that was too tough a question. I don't. We, you know, this. That, I don't. I, I don't feel bad about that. I feel like that was good. I see. I always feel bad. I want them to win, but. Uh, you know, what can you do? All right. Uh, somebody that's a winner in uh, in legal matters and in life is Debbie Schlussel. She is an attorney, a uh, conservative political commentator, an author and a film critic that we're kind enough that we're lucky enough to be able to tap into from time to time. Debbie, it's uh, great to talk to you. Thank for thank you for coming back on the program. Thank you. Great to be back. What have you been up to? What's new in uh, Debbie Schlussel world? Oh, you know, just doing my legal practice and my movie reviews and keeping busy and trying to stay out of trouble. Well, where's the fun in that, Debbie? I know, I know. By the way, is there a Caesars in Atlantic City? Yes, you would have gotten That's that. That's what I would have guessed. See, you would have been fine. You would have been fine. Um, and, you know, maybe one day you'll you'll call in and, you know, try your hand at winning that. All right. Um Let's uh, let's delve into some of the motion pictures that uh, people might be interested in seeing. We haven't spoken in a little while, so I'm sure there's a great deal that we uh, can catch up on. There's a film called uh, Samaritan. Uh, what is what's that all about? All right, so that comes out this week. That stars Sylvester Enzio Stallone. He is back in his mid, I think, late seventies. Isn't he seventy six now? He is an action hero in this movie. I actually like this movie a lot. Um, August is usually the time for the Pet Cemetery of Bad Movies where Hollywood sends them to die a quick death, but I enjoyed this. It's, it's kind of dark. It takes place in Granite City, which is supposed to be New York City, 
You know, Batman has Gotham. Sure. And Sylvester Stallone has Granite. So uh, it is about this young boy who is a fan of these former superhero and villain twin brothers who have, are said to have died. And he's obsessed with the good one, the superhero, who's called Samaritan. And he discovers that this garbage man that lives in the low-income housing where he and his single mother live is Samaritan. And he saves him from some bust-ups, and he comes back into action. I really enjoyed this. It's a lot of fun, even if it's a dark movie. It kind of reminded me like some of the movies from the 80s, like Escape from New York and so on, and I enjoyed it. So um, he plays sort of a, a fictionalized version of himself, I guess. Yes, definitely. And, and is definitely. it is it is I know you said it's it's sort of dark, but is it also funny or is it just strictly drama and action? It is funny. Um, Sylvester Stallone has a few wisecracks. I enjoyed it, um, and you know it's the, the it is broken up from the darkness with some good moments. So I think it's a it's a good escapist movie if you want something that's an hour and a half it's quick it's a tight movie it's not boring all right and then we're always on the lookout for political bias one way or another is there any surreptitious conservative or liberal messaging that's in this film no i and you know that's another thing to enjoy about it hollywood out of that's nice. in Good. this one. That's nice. All right. Let me ask you about The Invitation. This is interesting. This is a kind of a horror mystery film. It's a, a supernatural horror film. What do we think of this, Debbie? So I enjoyed this, too. I love a good scary movie. Most of them don't scare me because I'm kind of jaded from, the, from seeing so many. I found this to be scary and creepy. Some of it I kind of saw coming, but a lot of it I didn't. And this is another New York-based movie at first. It's about this woman who is black. Race is a part of, That's the one thing I didn't appreciate about the movie is the racialism. Mm. Um, she is black. She, discover, she takes a DNA test, and she discovers that she is related to this rich white family in England. And they invite her for the weekend, pay for her trip. And she goes to this, uh, I guess you would call it a manor, this very creepy castle-like mansion. And she develops a relationship with the lord of the manor. Um, And her family, they're all excited to meet her because the legend is or the story is that her great-grandfather was a servant of theirs. And it was she's the product of uh descended she's descended from an illicit relationship and they feel bad and they want to make amends to her i kind of found found this movie with the racial overtones of it to be sort of like the jordan peele movies this is like something he would have written um and he did get out for people that don't remember get out yes and the woman that's the main star of this looks exactly like megan markle and I feel like maybe there's a message here to the, about the royal family. It's, it's, it's not so veiled. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, there's another film that's gotten uh, sort of mixed reviews, 3,000 Years of Longing. This is a, a fantasy film. This didn't look like it was up my alley. Uh, what do you think? What, it, what is this up my alley? No, I hated this movie. So, the story is that Tilda Swinton, who's always very weird and in a lot of weird movies and roles, she is a woman that's an academic who studies fairy tales and myths 
and she's in Turkey to lecture. She buys this bottle and opens it, and a genie comes out. And the genie is played by Idris Elba, and he grants her three wishes, but she doesn't want to take them because she she knows what happens in all these fables with the three wishes. It, it begets tragedy and, and misfortune. But he begs her to do use the three wishes because it'll free him from these bottles forever. Um, and soon they're in a relationship, which I didn't buy for a second. He in real life, I think, is in his mid to late 40s, and she's like 61 or 62. And it just didn't, there wasn't really chemistry there. The story is a long, slow, and boring. He tells about the history of his life as a genie in Turkey. And there's a lot of um, uh, Islamic overtones. And also, there's this really gross uh, set of scenes where this aberrant prince who's fat has giant, morbidly obese, naked, fat women in orgies. And I didn't need to see that. No, wow. thank you. It's an unsee, unsee, unsee scene. Um. Uh, okay. How about uh, how about this is something that I haven't heard much about. Breaking. It's a. Uh, I guess it's sort of a. It's, it's sort of a thriller drama. What's breaking about? So this is uh, the real a movie about the real life story of this marine who comes back after uh, serving in either Afghanistan or Iraq or both, and he is poor. He's been homeless for a period of time. And he holds up a bank to protest that the VA has withheld um, $892 of his money and he's, uh, because he didn't pay back some student loans or something. And it is tragic. Um, I felt for this guy. Listen, people who serve in, the, in our armed forces, especially in wars, there is a problem with homelessness and with mental illness, sure. which this guy had. But to hold up a bank over nine hundred less than nine hundred dollars, and it has a tragic ending, and I just didn't know why I sat hmm. through this. Um, it, you, all you have to do is read this story. I don't want to go to the movies to see this. I think the story does need publicity in general about our armed service people and you know to take care of them. But uh, this movie was just heartbreaking. Ugh. Yeah, it sounds it. I crossing that off my list. Uh, last week, there was a picture that came out, Beast. What's Beast about? So this is another Idris Elba movie, and this one is much better. Um, he plays this father that's kind of been absentee. Um, his daughter's mother um, died of cancer, and he takes them on a safari. They're teen daughters. He takes them on a safari to Africa, and they get stuck in the wilderness where there is this lion whose pride has been killed by poachers and is kind of stalking and hunting them, and they have to get away. Um, I enjoyed this, you know, for what it is. It's not a great movie, but it's an escapist movie. I wasn't bored by it. It's definitely exciting. Um, the Lion is uh, CGI, but you can't really tell. And uh, it was not bad. It, it was, if you're looking for a good thriller, that or The Invitation. I preferred The Invitation, but Beast is not bad. All right, so... If uh, people are looking for something to watch over the weekend, if they need to stay cool or if it ends up raining, then uh, you recommend Samaritan, you recommend The Invitation, and uh, if you're an Idris Elba fan, maybe check out Beast. 
Exactly. Anything else uh, that's out lately, because it's been a little while since we spoke, anything else that's out lately that uh, you highly recommend or something that's gotten a lot of hype that you'd highly recommend people stay away from? Um, Well, you know, I can't think of something that I really hated or that I really liked, but I could tell you this. I did enjoy on Netflix, and I never thought I would um, enjoy a movie about a guy with a fake girlfriend. I mean, what's the story? But I found it very entertaining to be on Netflix called Untold, um, the the, uh, Manti Teo story about the fake girlfriend that he never had where he was catfished. And I thought it was an interesting story. I never knew, like, a lot of the stuff behind it. That's something, you know, that's important in the scheme of the world. But it's nice escapist documentary that's kind of like a popcorn documentary. And it was very interesting. And it's in the top ten right now. You know, Debbie, I am curious – um, you know, it was announced this week that Curb Your Enthusiasm's renewed for a 12th season. I can see you either really detesting Larry David's humor or really liking it. And I don't know which one I would bet on. Uh, Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm, like or dislike? Absolutely love. I love that show. I can't get enough. I think there have been a couple seasons in between where maybe some of the shows weren't as great. But most of it is just hilarious. Um, And, you know, a lot of his situations that he gets into are of his own making. But a lot of them, I sort of feel like sometimes I've been in those situations where you just can't help it. You didn't do anything wrong. Now, you are you're an observant Jew, very proud uh, Jewish person. One of the things that when I was talking about Larry David a week or two ago, um, the Christians were very upset about some of the uh, scenes in that show that were anti-Catholic. Um, and uh, some of the one Jewish listener called in and they had a big problem with him, uh, a scene that involved the shoes from Holocaust victims. Do you ever get offended by any of the scenes on that show that are anti-Christian or anti-Jewish or anti- I don't think you're offended by the anti-Muslim stuff, but any any of the stuff that's offensive to somebody? I mean, I think he offends everyone. Yeah, I've taken issue with some of the stuff in there. You know, listen, the Wagner, the episode like towards the beginning of when the show started with Wagner um, you know, my grandparents were Holocaust survivors. My mom was born in Bergen-Belsen camp and were against the music of Wagner. They used to play that when they would murder Jews. And Wagner was an anti-Semite, and he mocked Jews being upset with that. But you know what? It's hard. it's a show. It's comedy. Right. And you can't take it to heart. It's like the movie The Producers. You know, I wouldn't be offended by that. And they were mocking, you know, right. Springtime for Hitler. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I'm so pleased to hear you say that Uh, next time you're in New York, if it's if it's during season 12's run of Curb, uh, maybe you'll come over. We'll do a a Curb watching uh, party. Um, Absolutely. uh, Debbie, I don't even know that I need to ask this, but you are an attorney. You're somebody that follows political goings on pretty closely. I let me get your take on the status of the Donald Trump investigation and the raid at Mar-a-Lago. Where do you see this going? What's your take on uh, the FBI's handling of this raid? Well, listen, I remember after Trump was elected and he was the president elect and there were tons of 
columns in the newspaper and commentators on TV, all the so-called quote-unquote smart people saying we never go after political opponents. He should not go after Hillary for Hillary Clinton for having classified documents. And he did take the high road and he did not go after her when he could have. Um, And now all these smart people really think that democracies should go after uh, political opponents when they're on the right. I don't know what's in those documents. We've all heard rumors. But even when the affidavit is unsealed, I think, what, today? Today, right, today Um, by noon, right. Yeah, when it's unsealed with the redactions, it's all still speculation. Because unless we actually see what's in those documents, I bet if I go to any ex-president's home, their museum, their whatever they have, I'm sure they all have stuff that maybe is either classified or even is not classified, but is government property that they shouldn't have taken. I think it's sort of like a perk of the job. I do not want a president to have nuclear secrets with them. Um, And that's the story. But I don't know if that's true because we hear so many stories that have not panned out, you know, from the beginning, from the Trump-Russia collusion story. And listen, I'm not a Trump, you know, do or die. I'm not a Trump uh, ride or die person. I didn't like some of the things he said or did or how he behaved. And personally, you know, I, I, I don't care for his behavior. But I thought I agreed with a lot of his policies. I voted for him at, uh, both times and also in the primary. And um, I do think that a lot of this is really exactly what they told him he should not do with Hillary Clinton. I think it's payback. I think it's um, political. And I, I don't like it at all. We, we don't go after former presidents because we didn't agree with them. It's wrong. If you had to pick, gun to your head, I know it's early, but if you had to pick uh, your favorite presidential candidate for 2024, it could be including Trump, but anybody, anybody that's been talked about as a presidential candidate, who are you picking? Absolutely, Ron DeSantis. That's my man. That's your man. All right. Uh, Debbie Schlossel, it is always a treat to talk with you. I hope we can do it again soon. Absolutely. When are you coming to New York and we can hang in studio? You know what? I will come to New York soon if if that's the case. I'd love to hang out there. Wonderful. Let's plan on it. Debbie Schlossel, you can check out her uh, website. Uh, the short one, there are many ways to get to it. You can go to debbieschussel.com or you can go to debbiedoespolitics.com. That's debbiedoespolitics.com. And there's uh, some great content on there. 800-848-9222. We will do 15 seconds of fame in just a moment. Uh, you can be heard on any issue you want for 15 seconds. 1-800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
This is the other side of midnight. My thanks to Andy B for this uh, terrific, terrific theme song. You know, I'm just going back uh, in the last minute or so, and I just searched on Facebook Charlie Finch to see all the people posting about Charlie Finch, and most of it is people that he knew from the the art world, uh, but also a bunch of posts from our Facebook group come up. And a lot of it is people at different times saying, what happened to Charlie Finch and his daily commentary? Another person bringing up an incident from June of 2021. Wow, Frank got ticked at Charlie Finch. Never thought I'd hear that. And then there's 80 comments, 80 comments. What other caller could generate that amount of uh, reaction just from me yelling at them? Uh, only Charlie Finch, and uh, again, he um, off air and on the air was always a constant presence in my life for the last eight years, and uh, I really am going to miss him a great deal. Richland Frank, wonderful news. Charlie Finch here, great choice of name, not only for the wonderful Morano family, but I refer to you, uh, Mr. Morano, to Carl Arth's great, great opera, Carmine uh, Barana. I'm sure the little fellow will love it. Okay, good luck. I'm a grandfather twice over, and uh, I get it. So uh, love you guys. Fantastic. Give the little fellow a kiss. That was uh, a message he left me when uh, when our son was born. It was, I found that very, very touching. And uh, I'm going to miss him. 800-848-9222, 15 seconds of fame. That means you can comment on whatever you want for 15 seconds. One open line if you want to jump on board. Uh, it is time for... The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Tom in the Bronx. Pete on Staten Island. Yeah, I want to tell Charlie Fish to rest in peace. He gave us a lot of good hours of talk, smart stuff. I never really heard him say anything negative, but I know he did, and I listened all the time. I was hoping I'd meet him someday, but we'll meet again someday, Charlie, but let's hope not soon. Steve in Manhattan. WisterJusticeAtCNN.com Russ in White Plains. Thanks, Frank, for channeling the wit and wisdom of Charlie Finch over the years. Unfortunately, we have to endure Bongo Mike and Lake George who can't come up with one original idea other than the racism and anti-Semitism he learned in Rockville Center. 800-848-9222. Speaking of, here is Mike in Lake George. Hey, why did you get your own show to hear today? You're a big mouth, dude. All right, Russ? Give me a break. Uh, hey, Frank, I got a lot of friends who retired NYPD and uh, Nassau County. Back to blue people, you want anarchy? That's what we're going to get. And if you come here, the next car mine, uh, Frank, I spot. Alex in Brooklyn. Hey, a trivia question. What, what international commercial, very famous commercial, changed the tune of their song today? I give up. Cars for Kids. Is that true? Yes. And in fact, last night, Brian Kilmeade, he was filling in for Gutfeld, and he said that the most annoying commercial is Cars for Kids. I love that commercial. collaborated with them. I love it. Uh, Neil in Staten Island. Yeah, Charlie Finch is the only one crazy enough like myself to get up at 3 a.m. and 4 a.m. on Sunday morning to listen to your show. Rest in peace, Charlie. Uh, there were a few. There were a few people. Pete on, uh, in the East Village. <laughs> She's a moron. She's a moron. There you go. Some people are just always 
always consistent. Um, I guess uh, it seems apropos that for the last time we'll give Charlie the final word on 15 Seconds of Fame. Good morning, Frank. Charlie Finch here. Uh, you said on the show at 3.58 this morning that supermarkets cannot sell wine. Not true, Frank Morano. West Side Market, right over here in the East Village on 12th and 2nd, sell wine. Plenty of supermarkets sell wine. Okay. I use a nappuccino. I've been using it for years uh, during your show to take a quick nap. Excellent advice. Kiss the kid. Merry Christmas. Uh, the nappuccino, by the way, that was one of the better pieces of advice that I had given. That's when you drink a cup of coffee before taking a nap. I actually do that all the time. I find it remarkably restorative. And apparently uh, science backs that up. That is the uh, That is the way to do it. If you need to be alert... To host a radio show or to drive a car or perform surgery, the way the thing to do is down a cup of coffee, take a nap, and then that is the uh, the perfect mix. All right. Uh, if you want to stay in touch with me over the weekend, I do a digital detox on Saturday, so I'll, you can email me today. I'll see it, but not tomorrow. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. On Facebook, Facebook.com slash MoranoFan. You can see a, a beautiful photo of my nine-month-old handsome son, on Instagram at Morano Vision. And uh, if you miss any portion of the show, check out the podcast. Just search The Other Side of Midnight. Frank Morano, good day.